note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Right, one, two, three, how do I do this? Um, if World War One was supposed to be the war to end all wars, then All Quiet on the Western Front kind of wanted to be the war movie to end all war movies, I think. Um, that didn't quite work out for either of them. But it did become the urtext for future war movies, and especially in unglamorizing and promoting pacifist sentiments. Hmm. <laughs> Talking of two, sentiments. You've used two like big words that urtext, but well, it's not a big word, but it's definitely not a, a word that people use in. It's a good point. I don't know why I chose urtext. It's a good word, though. I like it. I like it. It's a good word. <laughs> Template. That's what normal people probably would use. I'll go with urtext. I like it. It's good. Uh, text. It's fancy. And this and this uh, text is adjust your tracking. <laughs> a podcast where we're on a venture to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year, and I am one half of your host, Liam Delaney. And with me is my good friend. Hello, I'm Ollie Jones. Um we're back. That's we are what, back. We're back for the twentieth time with our great release schedule of once. I know every three it went months. from being a weekly podcast to like <laughs> Twice a monthly or bi monthly or whatever it is. And then now it's like, what, bi yearly, I think now. Yeah. I think once every three months is a great release <laughs> schedule that any producer would be happy for. <laughs> like, I, I was adamant that this wasn't one of those podcasts that people started during lockdown because technically we didn't. We started it before COVID was even, a, well, we came up with the idea before COVID was a thing and we even recorded the first one when I think, I think COVID we was record- a thing that. We recorded the first one before COVID before lock- had yeah, been yeah. in Britain, I think. Yeah, so yeah. we aren't a lockdown podcast. <laughs> I want to make it very clear. Yeah. It's not a lockdown but, podcast. But we have fallen by the wayside <laughs> a little bit, but we're going to do our best now to kind of yeah get back on some sort of schedule. There's been loads of shit happening. It's yeah. the world, and it's been difficult to actually get time. But yeah, we'll do it when we can. I and mean, hopefully we'll, we might yeah. have monkey pox to look forward to whatever the fuck it's called What's that one? oh yeah monkey? i've been seeing that going around as well <laughs> looks good can't wait <laughs> can't wait for that one so um what have you been up to then um i fucking don't know what i've been up to um nothing yesterday i went out for a walk along the beach because i was mm-hmm. bored um so I was walking, and it was really hot on the beach. It was quite cold up here, but then I was on the beach, it was really hot. So I was sitting there for a while, and I was listening to the Blank Check podcast, which yes. we, we are not a sponsor. Um, <laughs> it's a or, very good no, or even know we exist. <laughs> um, uh, and on the way back, I popped into a random pub, just a completely random one that I'd never been in before. It just looked kind of nice, and I, went, I thought I'd get a glass of wine or something before. Whereabouts was it on the pier or? No, it's just up. So I just started walking up the hill, and I just beyond one of the little squares. They got squares off through Brighton and stuff. Nice. And I was sitting in the pub, and just I think I was reading, or scrolling the internet, you know. And this guy just walked in, kind of set up the piano, and just started playing piano. <laughs> You know? So he wasn't hired to to be like an open mic kind of thing then? He, was just... he must be, but there was no announcement. There was no like, there, no one That's greeted fair. him as he walked in or anything. <laughs> yeah. Like it just felt like a random person had walked over and started playing piano. And uh, he then did it for like over two hours, two hours and a half. Wow. You know, he took a little full, breaks. A full set. 
a full mm. set, and it was fucking awesome. I had such a good time. <laughs> so what was he? And, what was he playing? He um loads of classic rock. Like he played like Toto and and uh, he played Meatloaf. I would do anything for love, which was just amazing. Oh, the beginning. Of, did he do the proper? Yeah. And then someone started. Someone like over. Um, and like went before the part of the song, you know, started singing before he got there, and he put his hand up to shush them. Nope, nope, not yet. <laughs> nope, not yet. <laughs> and then like when he got there, he lowered his hand, and everyone started singing. <laughs> it was really good. Like he played loads of Beatles and classic, and he played loads of modern pop as well. Actually, like um, uh, it was <laughs> really fun. I like, I think I asked at the end, like, does this happen every every you know regular thing? And I think they they do it every Sunday. So I'm definitely oh, going awesome. again to just listen well, to the when piano I come man. To visit you, we'll have to go. Yeah, play me a song, piano man. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, good. That that, nice. That's what I've been up to. I went to go see a piano. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yourself? Well, I've got something. To, I've got like an admission, something I've got to get off my chest. Something's <laughs> happened to me over the past couple of months. I've, something's uh, happened to you. I've kind of become a YouTuber. And, <laughs> uh, I'm not proud of it, but it kind of happened. <laughs> so, so, what's your YouTube all about, YouTuber? Uh, uh, basically, you have to move to Brighton now. It's where all the YouTubers live. Is it? Well, I know. PewDiePie or whatever. Is it PewDiePie? Yeah. I don't even know what their names are. Is that his name? <laughs> PewDiePie, yeah. I don't think he makes videos anymore. Does he not? I, I know he had a lot of issues. He seems like a bit of a... He seems like a bit of a twat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was okay, I, he version. made a video 12 hours ago and it's got oh. 1.3 million views. So I don't know why I well, wrote this guy off. <laughs> I spent two weeks making a video and I've had 89 views in a day. I'm, I'm quite chuffed with that. <laughs> yeah. So, no, what I do is, it's called I Made This. And basically, it's basically, I basically feel myself making stuff. So my, my claymation characters or a toy or a set or just some, just making stuff, basically. And that's, I just feel myself making it. And uh, yeah, originally I was going to just do them like five, six minutes long. But like I sent them to you and our other friends like Ben and Edge and stuff like that. And you kind of all suggested that they should be a bit longer. So now yeah. they've kind of become like something I'm, I hope people can watch and just kind of chill out to. Because like some people, when they do like these six minute ones, they put like really fast music and like it's like, Meh. I just kind of put some chilled out hip hop on it and while well, I'm kind of sculpting or whatever. I really like that. It's like, you know, those old TV shows that used to be how this, how this is made or whatever they're called. Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even remember what it's called, but you know, like on Discovery Channel, would it show yeah, you how I love those shows. they love make those. like a tire or something? Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's kind of what this reminds me of, and especially with the length, I can just kind of put it on and have it kind of playing and you talking about what you're doing and why you're doing it and just seeing yeah, everything kind of come together. It's really satisfying. It's not meant to be something you sit and attentively watch, you know, yeah. from start to finish. You it's just... not meant to be a tutorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. It's just me just blabbing on about crap really and uh, yeah that's it and if people really like get it. any tips from it then that's even that's cool but like yeah but yeah um so you know i originally was going to do that every week but it became insane to try and do it every week so now i'm sure. just doing it when i can be bothered <laughs> that's my new goal <laughs> <laughs> it's become like this podcast now yeah, this is just what we do. Yeah, <laughs> we do creative outputs when we can be bothered. Bothered, yeah. 
So, um, have you been watching films in the past three months? God, I've watched so many films. I don't know where to start. I mean, go- really good thing about River to Brighton is I live really close to the cinema. Um, it's probably like 15 minutes walk. So I go to the Duke of York a lot. To the point now that they've started waving me in without looking at my ticket. <laughs> just like, oh, oh hi. Like, yeah. That's cool, though. <laughs> like, they recognise you. That's like, nice. Yeah, like it's, a, like it's my local. Unless they're just really bad at checking tickets. It might just be that. Maybe they don't know me at all. They're just really bad at actually looking to see if people have got tickets. Well, I went to an alpaca but, farm a couple of weeks ago. Well, that <laughs> was, was not a sentence I thought you were going to say. <laughs> it was a present for my sister, but they have like other experiences. So you can have a donkey experience. You've got the alpaca <laughs> experience. Or uh, what's the other one now? I can't remember what the other animals are. They, uh, they've got some other animals. And basically that you have goats. to pay individually for each experience. Okay, right. And basically we bullshitted our way to saying yeah we've paid for all the experiences and they went <laughs> so like we went for the alpaca one which all you do is you walk around a field with an alpaca for about 20 minutes and then you walk back again that's the extent of it <laughs> and it and like so, so it's got three fields and you walk through one it's just a normal field and then they go okay the next field is like you can ch- test the agility of your alpaca and Ooh. all it is is five poles in the ground and you just have to weave your alpaca through it that's the well, do you have the alpaca on like a lead yeah you hold on to it and mine was called obi-wan of course, yeah, of course it Star is Wars. they saw you coming <laughs> and then the third field they're like oh they're they might start running once you get into the third field because they know there's food there and i was like oh cool so they, they give us food cool. to feed, they do actually cool. do something so then we walk into the third field and we get to the place where, you know, they get fed. And then they went, all right, everybody bring out your food that you've bought in the gift shop. And me and Carol oh. were like, oh, we, we didn't buy any food for the alpaca in the gift shop. Oh, no. So, like, every, all these alpacas are just munching on this food and our alpacas are like, you fucking oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're the worst. I know, but we weren't, we weren't told. So then we thought, fuck it. So when we took the alpacas back, they went, um, if, you are, um, if you've got any other experiences, go and wait over there and then we'll assign you to the area you're supposed to go to. So me and Carol, should we just try and see if we can do the other things? Because why not? <laughs> and then we went, yeah, we've got all the other ones. And then we went, okay, stand over there. And then, yeah, we, we spent like the good afternoon there going to do all the different experiences, which we didn't pay for. Did you buy the other animals food? Well, no, but that's stupid. When you get to, when you finish the experience, they give you a cup of food anyway to give to the animals, and it's all generic food that they all eat. And it's like, well, couldn't you've given that to us on the walk? They give you it at the end when you've yeah. done, seen all Once the animals. You've done it, yeah. For you to keep. <laughs> no, they've got like there's one alpaca that just roams around outside of the field, and then they've got like um, a wild alpaca. And then they've got like you know pigs, uh, dong like. They've got those massive donkeys that are like quite scary, like almost as big as a horse, even bigger. So that's quite scary. Then they've got the tiny little donkeys. And I love how you're struggling to name farmyard animals. <laughs> <laughs> they had meerkats as well. We did, okay. we did the meerkat uh, experience as well. But I again, you even... don't really do much. You don't like you just. I was gonna say, I can't and then that's much. It. It's like, wow, this is. I'm glad I didn't pay for the you know the extra for the meerkat. Got it free. <laughs> Anyway, tell me a sodding film. How about we start with a 
a, a medical professional who you might say is a bit weird. Mm -hmm. uh, who just had a new release come out directed by Mr. Sam Raimi. Oh, yes. I have seen said film as well. I thought you had. Yeah. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That's a good <laughs> title, though. What did you think? A good title. Uh, I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I enjoyed myself. I definitely loved the cinema we went to. So, uh, oh, yeah. speaking earlier about our friends Ben and Edge, we went to uh, the Odeon Lux in Tamworth, and it's the first time I've ever oh, sat on yeah. a chair that actually reclined like an electric chair. So I literally watched the film horizontally, like just lying <laughs> down. It was amazing. I've only um, been to an Odeon Lux once on um, Piccadilly Circus. Is the only was, no Leicester Square? No, not Piccadilly. Leicester Square like, one. That's the only like one I've ever been to. Twenty quid a ticket though. It's insane. Yeah. But um, no, I enjoyed the film. Like it's very Sam Raimi. It's got plenty of shots of like I don't know, like if you watch his old Spider-Man films, there's many shots of people looking out of windows, looking at the action outside, and then it yeah, cuts to I some, fucking love cuts that. to a cuts to a woman, then like a very pretty lady going woo like gawping. He always yeah. does it. I love that. I absolutely fucking love that. It just felt like such a. I mean, I loved the film. I wouldn't say it's the best film ever. It's a Marvel film in the day, but it, I think it's among the best Marvel films. I think it's Do you think top so? five for me, maybe, maybe higher, um, because I just had such a good time with it, and it just felt like someone was fucking directing something. I think that's what I've been missing from watching other films. They just do not feel directed. They don't feel like they're craft of someone actually look, thinking about a film and how to how to kind of putting their kind of element on it, you know. And there was a bit in the beginning of the film, spoilers, because we'll probably ramble on about stuff. But there's something in the beginning of the film where he, um, the like the strange in the multiverse. Uh, sorry, um, it's America. She uh, she falls into one of her portals and the camera kind of falls with her. And mm -hmm. as she's twisting and falling, the camera twists and falls with her. And as it as it falls and falls and falls, it cuts to like... Um, it cuts to Doctor Strange sitting bolt up in bed. And so the camera kind of twists, cuts Doctor Strange. And as he sits up jolt in bed, the camera pulls out from him. That yeah, continues yeah. that kind of turn and continues that twisting it was doing before and pulls out from him. And then as he relaxes from like his nightmare, the camera kind of breathes back in with him yeah, to yeah, set up yeah. like a normal kind of like shot. And that's one of the first things that happens in the film. And as soon as that happened, I, I wanted to clap I, like, because I was just so pleased that that was a, that's a that is a Sam Raimi's camera doing whatever like he wanted to do. That's him to, dis, like choosing something from the script and shooting it in like an interesting way and a, and a fun way. It's not the most complicated thing ever been shot. It's not the most like stylistic, but it's an absolutely competent like directing of like of, of a scene. Um, and from that point i just sank into my chair and enjoyed it i think that's kind of it kind of like let me like like i like exhaled like oh my god they've actually let him direct this kind of thing it's insane um, though because it's been nine years since he's released a feature film. yeah I, I just and i didn't know if he still had it in him you know if he still cared you know i mean like oz and what was it oz the great and powerful or whatever it's called yeah which is the one sam Raimi film i've never watched it, have you not seen it? It's not. A, no. It's not. It's not a great film. It's very. The CGI is very. 
it's almost like that uh, Willy Wonka, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, which is just kind of yeah. like plastic looking CGI and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, hmm. But like, I, I think the last thing he probably directed was the pilot for um, Ash versus the Evil Dead, which was great. I did love that pilot, actually. But um, it was just lovely to see Sam Raimi back doing what he does. It was. And that's making and that's really f- fun films, you know what I mean, that feel like films. Like, we've, we've said yeah. this many times that Marvel films tend to not feel like films. And I know that sounds a bit nasty, but like... <laughs> I've I rewatched Spider Man, you know, No Way Home, and like I was watching the behind the scenes, and basically every single every single scene is green screened. There's nothing because I, I mean, oh, God, they I shot know. it they shot it during COVID, so it's probably you know quite difficult. And when you kind of watch that film, knowing how they made it, you kind of understand why there's only ever three people in a scene yeah. at once, and it it kind of for me it kind of starts to fall apart a bit that film. I mean, it's held together by the great climax, you know, with uh, Toby and uh, Andrew and stuff. But um, this this multiverse of madness really felt like a a film. And um, yeah. you know, I'd love to have seen more of the multiverses, to be honest. But sure. the glimpses we do get, like the paint one, there's a quick glimpse of an animated one. I mean, I'd have spent half of the film in an animated <laughs> one. <laughs> the paint um, one was so fun and inventive. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Where was the claymation one though? That's what I like. But, um, yeah, where was it? They were clearly they couldn't get you on the phone. And uh, <laughs> I was a bit busy that day. Um, but clear, like you know, the, the Illuminati I, scene that, as well. I, uh, we have to talk about the Illuminati. That was <laughs> that was a low point for me. Low um, point. Just I I I loved seeing um, uh, Patrick Stewart. I forgot his yeah, name yeah. then. I love seeing Patrick Stewart back in. Uh, in the in in playing uh, Professor X again, the intro music chair. was awesome though. <laughs> the stupid chair that is so unfunctional. Just a the... big yellow block. Yeah, it's so big. It's like did they widen every door? <laughs> like, um, but like John Krasinski was so horribly miscast, so fucking bad in that role that I hope to God. That they um, I hope to God that is just a fan thing for this, and when they actually cast him in the real universe, it's not going to be him. I don't. Um, I have a feeling it will be him because the one thing I was kind of hoping they would do in this film was have different actors portray Doctor Strange. So yeah, I, was, I yeah. was really hoping that Bruce Campbell was going to be another iteration <laughs> of Doctor Strange, and that would have been amazing. Um, fucking loved Bruce Campbell's character though. God, had they laugh. had they done that, I think yeah, then I could believe that John Krasinski is just a one-off in this film, just to kind sure. of appease the fan casting that's been going around for years and years and years. But I have a feeling he will be. I, I, I reckon he so might direct bad. it as well because and I, I mem- yeah, I can he, see that because he's not doing the sequel to uh, what's it called? Quiet uh, Place. Quiet place, and you know his his show's now finished. The Jack Reacher show, whatever it is. not Jack Reacher is it Jack Reacher? Yeah, he has finished that. Yeah, yeah, that show's finished. So you know his slate's complete, and obviously he doesn't have his good news show anymore. So you know, <laughs> so he's all freed up. He's all free now. And they totally. Just, but I'm so annoyed. They had one stretchy moment in it, pretty much. I was like, come on, 
one little stretchy moment and it looked kind of bad and that they were just it was the most obvious point of that when none of these people have ever been in the same room as each other i don't think any of them knew they'd done the film with each like well i mean elizabeth olsen said she never worked with him one day yeah and that's believable he was just like my piffy comment about john kozinski which i can't really remember it now but like i can't believe how much he was a walking corpse in that movie in a movie where there was actually a walking corpse. walking corpse <laughs> hey i just can't believe Flying how miscast he felt he felt with so a, with a cape wrong. made of souls which was oh that honestly that fucking bit that ending that cape of souls i was just so on board i was <laughs> just in a total happy place those little jittering fucking souls and all like like all the little movements of them and all them like kind of like like uh like making comments and noises and just rithering all over the place it's It's just so fucking good the horror hags and stuff like that in evil dead yeah like even the zombified um doctor strange looked like uh evil ash from uh, army of darkness and that the um like uh elizabeth olsen is absolutely a deadite in part of that film like you know oh, when yeah, yeah. Ch- she's chasing them around through like the under tunnels and stuff like that she oh, moves like a dead reflections and stuff yeah and she can tell she was having a fucking ball i've never seen her have this much fun in a in a marvel thing she looked like she was actually enjoying herself you know and wanted why? to be there they gave her something to do yeah they actually gave her something to fucking I mean, do i know yeah i have to admit i ha- i haven't seen wandavision but i don't i i actually don't feel like i you I've don't need anything. to watch it you know, so um, you got everything to, you needed from this film. Going back to the Illuminati, though, I did quite like seeing, um, you know, Peggy Carter as um, yeah, what's she called? I can't remember, like Captain Britain or something. I don't know Is what... it Captain Britain? I no, it's not like it's that, in that stupid it? fucking what if the worst thing Marvel have done. Oh, that animated style is terrible. You know the you know, you know the animated world they kind of go into quickly when they're going through the different multiverses. Is that the same style? Or is it slightly different? I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure. Yeah. I feel I, I want to say it's slightly different, but I'm not yeah. sure. And I like I loved seeing um, the Black Bolt death was fucking brilliant. I just I laughed out loud with like <laughs> it's just such a fucking Sam Raimi moment of just him blowing his own brains out and like the proper like the way he shots it and. I just loved how physical the deaths were in this. Like, I was kind of watching it going, they let him be physical. Like, Marvel don't let people do physical mm-hmm. deaths like this. Like, the way that one of the strains gets impaled on, like, spikes at the end and stuff like that. It just, that was, like, actual physical things happening um, in, like, what, I wouldn't call it a horror film, but with that fantasy horror elements, you know, that and well, it, it felt just like, felt you know- good. The, the kind of films that we would have watched in the 80s as kids. Yeah. You know, we grew up watching where it's kind of, it's not it's not gratuitously violent weather, but it's got like little hints of horror and, you know, scary stuff in it. You know, like Ghostbusters or even The Goonies and things like that. You know, uh, Indiana Jones, for example, you know, just that's like kids love, kids actually love stuff like that, you know. Yeah. You know, Him pulling the, the eyeball out of that, like Gamora or everything. That's so oh, that was good. I mean, you know yeah. me. I always, look, I love a good tentacle squiddy monster. So I was, <laughs> I was down with that. And I just found, like, out of all the Marvel films, the way that he got into the action, like he, the way like he moved from, like, scenes into action was kinetic. Mm-hmm. Like it flowed. Um, it was thought about. It just, it felt to me just so much more fun to watch than I have had with a Marvel film in forever. 
And do you know what the best um, thing about it was? It was two hours long. Like, <laughs> no, right? Right? <laughs> was God. Sorry, and it just, I was just out. like, it's embarrassing that I think back to John Watts doing the press for like Spider Man. It's fucking embarrassing that he was saying they were doing like, now oh, are we doing full Sam Cam? Right. <laughs> and it's like, no, you fucking aren't at all. Like, it's yeah. like uh, the next film comes out, it's like Sam Raimi giving you a fucking masterclass in how to shoot shit like it kind of feels embarrassing they didn't let him let's just didn't give him spider-man frankly but i'm glad that he did this because i mean i know that he's talking about like he'd love to do a spider-man 4 i mean i don't, I don't think he'll ever do another spider-man but um no i don't think so either but um I, I i did think some of the dialogue was pretty ropey like rachel mcadam's mm. got some pretty oof lines like <laughs> yeah. it's like a, a go to hell line or something like that she's normal stuff yeah but i love the fact it's about like a book of the dead essentially as well <laughs> yeah like the, yeah you know you can't get away from it you cannot get away from it at all yeah i liked it and even i'm not the hugest biggest fan of benedict cumberbatch's doctor strange but um i just it, it just i don't know i just got used to it I, I fell into it this it was all working for me the funny thing for me is him in like real life when he's not being Doctor Strange is mm-hmm. so funny. Like he he can't you can't have him go to a funeral just like <laughs> with that fucking hair. <laughs> <laughs> who was that guy who spoke to him? Is he is that a famous actor or anything? You know the one who Yeah, Michael him? Stolberg. Yeah. What's he been in? Oh god, he's been in fucking everything. Because he um, was in like he was name checked in the credits and he only had one scene. I was like, he got a whiff. He got a yeah. fucking with, and he's got one scene. He's got the best agent in the world. I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was in like Hugo and Arrival and The Shape of oh, Water okay. and The Post and Lincoln, and he's been in fucking everything. He's a fantastic actor. Like he was in Steve Jobs as well. Like. Okay. Yeah, great. I remember because I got to know him because he was on Boardwalk Empire. I remember he was a big, uh... big character in Boardwalk Empire. But he was, I clearly what had happened is because he was in the first Doctor Strange, I think his contract must be like you're doing three Doctor Strange films and you get the with that must be his contract so it, they had to use him in this because the contract says that they have to use him and he has to get the with that must have been it because it made no sense for him to be in it for like half a second and get he the wasn't with. in the first one though he was yeah oh he was oh okay where, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. where was he in that then because I haven't seen well, the first one either. same character oh uh, he's just like he's another doctor at the um institute uh, okay, the, so that's the why hospital. he's at the. Like, okay, that's why he's at the funeral. Um, I do. I will say this though. I've. I always hated Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent in films, but I think you know over the past couple of years, either I've just gotten used to it and it's work, started to work for me, or it's gotten better. I can't decide which right to it is. I think but, uh, we might have talked about this before, but um, th- they weaponize that in Power of the Dog. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah definitely. It's really clever, actually, how they use his weird accent to actually work for the character. I think because I remember, yeah. like, when we first saw Doctor Strange, we were like, "Why don't? Why isn't he just British? Just have him British? Yeah, it's just really have him be British. It's weird." But, but <laughs> I've kind of, I've kind of settled into it. And yeah. I tell you what, the other thing I was really happy about it feels like Danny Elfman's back now as well. Like, yeah, right. For, for a long time, he was just kind of doing really generic stuff. He did that really awful Justice League score when he was brought on to take over that what um, score the justice league score and it was terrible oh god okay yeah it was and then yeah. he phoned in a load of other um 
uh, scores. But then he like he's now released a new album that's kind of like in the vein of his, you know, a bit Oingo Boingo stuff, but a bit more kind of alternative. And it's awesome. And he's like all jacked up and all tatted up now. He's like he's like Danny Elfman 2.0. And like the score in this, it feels like he's back as well in doing what he does best in film scores yeah. as well. So that was really fun to. I've listened to no, that a absolutely. couple of times. The only other weird thing I could say, you know how this film was meant to come out before um, Spider-Man? Yeah, so it has to be rewritten or whatever. So it has to be rewritten. It's so fucking... This sh- so obvious what they changed in Spider-Man now. And it's so stupid They what they did. Because <laughs> clearly... What, what, what was that? I'm, I'm being done. Well, it's going to be... America Chavez basically would have been in Spider-Man. And oh, okay. she would have been, and she would have been the one trying to cast a spell to erase everyone's memory of Peter. Oh, so um, it wasn't Doctor. So Strange. it wouldn't be he, Doctor Strange because so it's a dumb be thing to make him do. So he'd try and fix it, basically. But he'd try and fix it, so they'd be on the run from him the whole film, and that's why the portals exist. That um, Ned starts opening because it would have been America Chavez opening portals to run away from uh, uh, so, Strange. So now he's like now, just by. The release schedule. He's now a potential future sorcerer just because of that. Yeah, because of that. But it makes so much more sense. It's like, oh yeah, yeah that that would make sense. Why did they fuck around with it? But, Why was that? Was it just the script wasn't ready, or I or think, what? I think Sam want, uh, Sam or Marvel wanted reshoots on Doctor Strange. Oh, okay, fair enough. I think there were there definite reshoots and reworkings of stuff. Maybe the CGI took longer than it they thought it would, or something. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I wouldn't say it's my favourite Marvel film, but um, a solid three and a half, four out of five for me, I think, on that one. Yeah, I got solid four easily. You go, I'll talk about a film that I watched. Well, actually, I watched two films that are essentially the same film. Okay. So I watched. So did I, actually, weirdly. I watched Jackass Forever and Jackass 4.5. Okay, I haven't seen 4.5. I have watched Jackass Forever. I'd argue and say that 4.5 might be better than Forever. Oh, really? Why? And it's weird because I don't know if you've watched any of the, the 0.5 films. So I think it's 2.5. No, 2.5. I haven't actually. They're kind of half documentary, half deleted scenes, um, half kind of just more of the camaraderie of them. Do you know what I mean? Which is my favourite oh, yeah. aspect of Jackass. Like, I'm not a fan yeah. of when they do the skits on, on like random people in the public. Oh, like they're Jack bad. The public. Yeah. I like, I think there's only a couple in Forever because of obviously COVID and stuff. Um, but those ones that were in it were the the most boring for me. But the, my favourites when yeah. they're all grouped together and they're all just fucking laughing at each other, all the stupid shit. They're, they're proper like my they're proper like dudes being bros films. <laughs> like... Yeah, but then, but in a way that it's it's not. They're not like men, men. Do you know what I mean? They're st- it's there's like in four point five. There's so many dicks around, and it's like very homoerotic in in a weird kind of way. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. And I, I love the, that about Jackass that it's not it's not about being the alpha male. It's just more. It's just about I don't know, just one upping each other in just terms of how stupid they can be. Yeah, like, they. It does seem to be for what they do, generally quite untoxic to each yeah, other. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, they all play pranks on each other, but that's just yeah. just what they do. But but it, everyone's fair game. 
But the, the weird thing about that, I always thought Bam Magera came across as the most, um, I don't know, selfish. Oh yeah, because he word? could give it, but he couldn't take it. Yeah, he always got really, really mad and really, and really quite obviously pissed off at stuff. Whereas he would always be like the inst- instigator to do things. I always yeah. felt it wasn't like fair game. Yeah, he's he, not really he in this always one, felt he? a bit more malicious, I think. Yeah, malicious um, is a good word, yeah. And, like, you know, this is the first Jackass film that has no one from CKY. So if anyone hasn't ever seen... Oh, really? No, so CKY was around that before was Jackass. And big that was like, for us, yeah. Now, like, Bam Majera's skate videos that kind of had him, Ryan Dern, Brandon DeCamelo, uh, Rab himself, Reiki on, and a bunch of other people. And they were mostly skate videos that just had skits in it and kind of, you know, trolley stuff and all that kind of stuff. And they took bits of that and put it into the pilot of Jackass and they put like I think Bam went over and Ryan Dern I think it was just them too really who kind of joined um, the Jackass crew but obviously since Ryan Dern died um, I think Bam's kind of spiralled out of control hasn't he and he wasn't he wasn't in the fourth one well he has, he's in one scene in the fourth one which is actually quite funny it's when they're like a marching band and they they go on the um not conveyor belt, what do you call it? Like a treadmill. Oh, is he in that bit? He's in that I bit. was looking out for him and I never saw him when I was watching it. And I think he's in the scene when they do the um, the wedgie with Wee Man, where they like drop him from a great height. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. But um, other than that, I don't think he was he was asked back. So I think he, I think he was fired, I think. Because he couldn't like agree to their terms and conditions, I think. Yeah, I think there was something to do with sobriety. Is yeah, that the word? Um, yeah, and he didn't, he didn't keep up with it because he has issues. Yeah. What did you think of the new people though? So you had. Um... I actually quite liked the new people. <laughs> I mean, my favourite was Poopies. He just felt like Tom DeLonge or something in. <laughs> I can't remember their names. I watched My, it once. The I best though is the one guy's dad called Dark Dark Shark. Oh yeah, he's, he's fucking like, funny. He's like, he's like an ex gangbanger. Like yeah, he shot people and stuff, which you should laugh at. But like, he's scared of birds. He's scared of flying. So they, <laughs> they make you do all that shit. The one with the tarantula mask, and he's just killing. Oh, <laughs> like, I think he's grabbed. Has he grabbed Johnny Knoxville or something? I think so. He, like strangles someone. <laughs> good stuff and like the whole intro of the for- <laughs> of the of uh, forever is um yeah the intro is amazing <laughs> yeah the it's intro is fucking like, amazing it's just like a kaiju thing but with the uh, party boy's dick it's amazing yeah and i love party boy because he doesn't redo really the stunts but he's just more of like a hype man essentially party boy's one of the weirdest people that's ever existed yeah he just bounces around <laughs> while everyone does the weird shit <laughs> That and the guy who loves to poo himself. Oh, um, Dave England. Is it England? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's he's the scat one. That's always. <laughs> you know how you watch like freak shows and you think, how would that people ever have been like the gimp or, and done this back in the day? And then you just have to watch Jackass and go, oh right, yeah, they're yeah. still around. They just. I think my, <laughs> my favourite member of Jackass though is um, Danger Aaron. He's the one for me that feels like. He feels the most genuine to me. I, and I do like Johnny Knoxville, I have to admit. But um, I really like Johnny Knoxville. I love Danger Aaron. He's he's my favourite one. And I have to Google him. I can't think of what you... Danger Aaron. Oh, him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he looks like um, <laughs> Pixel Dan, if you know who Pixel Dan 
<laughs> I don't, sorry. Pixel Dan is like a toy reviewer on YouTube. He's quite, quite <laughs> I don't know your toy worlds. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's he's the one that kind of gets picked on the most, I think. And like, if you ever watch Steve-O's or listen to Steve-O's podcast, he's been on it a few times. And, you know, he kind of takes, he, he kind of purposely took on the role of the one that kind of gets picked on because you kind of need that one who's like a, who comes yeah, across sure, the sure. or whatever. And they all kind of fulfill a different role, don't they? Yeah. Um, Steve-O's voice is fucked, man. Like, I think he's done so much laughing gas or something that his voice is just so bizarre now. <laughs> One of my favourite cast members of um, of Jackass is the um, documentarian, whose name's gone out of my fucking head, who's... um, I don't even know if he's... I guess he's shooting the film. I guess he's a cameraman Lance? on the film. Lance. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. always... As soon as someone pukes, he starts puking. He starts puking. <laughs> and yeah. then faints. And they're always just like, we've got, this is fucking Lance here. Lance fucking is here. Like, and this is what he's filming. He's like a real documentarian and this is what he's doing with his time. The, the grossest thing they do in um, 4.5 is um, when they're shooting the, the kaiju um, intro sequence. Uh, you know the big guy now who's, the, who's one of the new members? He's like a really big guy. Yeah. They um, put sushi all over his body, underneath his like man boobs, and in his crack and everything like that. And they wrap him in cellophane, and then they put him out in the sun for a while, so he, and make him do squats and jump around, so he gets really sweaty. And then they all start to take it in turns to eat the sushi. <laughs> but you've not seen so much sick in your life. And then Lance, like he just starts, he faints, he pukes. <laughs> It's so messy. But I love it. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a real soft spot for Jackass. Really do. Like I, I, I watched them all in a row. I even watched fucking Bad Grandpa, which I, I haven't really seen that one. But I watched them all in a row just because the, when the new one was coming out, and I was just kind of sitting there going, "Yeah, this is like my childhood." <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't I believe a lot of this. I can't believe Johnny Knoxville did that one with the bull again like why did he need to do that one again like when he got tossed in there and you saw when he yeah. landed I saw it, it land on his arm and I thought that arm is broken and then the next shot he's got a cast on his arm I was like Ooh. the fucking brain the one when he gets absolute abs, actually brain damage is insane is that in the second one or no it's this one it's forever is it in forever he, yeah he gets brain damage proper like injury during it because I know I, I remember watching an interview with him and he's talking about like he kind of like got mono or something from it like he would like just zone out all the time like doing editing and just kind of yeah so I don't know if that was from that maybe it was. I think so yeah I think that he's found his concentration whining or something that's like that. it yeah 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 it's all from that bold stunt Oof. what an idiot <laughs> so what else have you watched what an idiot but he's doing what he loves <laughs> I watched both fire starters oh okay I've seen the original Don't. one many, many, many moons ago. <laughs> yeah, I realised I'd never seen it, so I thought I'd watch it, and then I went to go watch the new one, and it's much worse than the original. Even the original's bad, but this is yeah, much worse. Great. Did you watch it at the cinema, the new one? Yeah. I had an <laughs> yeah. afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go to the cinema. That's what I do. So that was bad. Don't watch that. Um, I did, however, go and see... Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, everywhere, everywhere, everything, all at once. I've not everything, been able to everywhere, catch it, but... all at once. 
but I definitely uh, want to. Because I mean, we spoke about that on the last podcast. We like did, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about it possibly coming out at some point, and that <laughs> that was how long ago our last episode was. <laughs> but I mean, I'm super excited to see it, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But and your thoughts? It's wonderful, absolutely it wonderful. I, I loved. I just absolutely loved it. I, I even I, I've I've been told if you go see it again, you start seeing the flaws in it a bit. It does actually come a bit more obvious. I've had people say it doesn't totally live up to multiple watchings, but yeah. um, which might be true. But I I sat there absolutely enraptured. Um, the whole the whole thing. Michelle Yeoh is such a fucking treasure. Like she's such one of the best actresses that's ever existed. Um, and the fact that she's a fucking kick-ass martial artist as well is is insane. <laughs> I uh, and I just I thought it was inventive and fun and funny and heartwarming and really kind of important. It's like it spoke to me really deeply. Um, I just absolutely couldn't have loved it more. Really, I can't. I, I absolutely fell in love with it. Well, I and, mean, um, I loved their I loved their uh, first film. I don't know if it was their first film, but you know, Swiss Army Man. I really enjoyed that film. Yeah, I haven't watched that. I need yeah. to watch it. It's, I mean, it's super weird, you know. It's got um, Paul Dano has finds a corpse, which is um, <laughs> Harry Harry Potter, but like he can fire harpoons out of his mouth, and he he's, <laughs> yeah, his farts like help do stuff. It's, it's bonkers, but it's well worth a watch. It just feels again, like they're it's got, on. It's got heart. They, but it's they got just heart have. Yeah, this is what I really liked about this. They felt like they had a unique vision. They felt like they had something and they felt like they they went there. And what's really funny about it is that it takes the, the actual kind of um, length of the what you're watching is really short. It's almost like an afternoon or it's sort of like, a, I think it's like a day basically in the life of these characters. And the way they use the flow of time with um, multiversal stuff, I think is really inventive that you're cutting between these crazy universes more and more and more as you watch it. Uh, I just, I just thought it was a joy, an absolute fucking, fucking joy. And I, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, but the male lead, uh, Kei Hu Kwan. Yeah. It's short round. Short round. I fucking <laughs> spent the entire fucking film going, why do I know him? Like, and going like, I must have seen some sort of martial art film with him in. I must have watched some like like some Hong Kong film or something. I cannot picture who he is. He's the fight scenes in this, especially his, are really like Jackie Chan inspired, or not inspired, maybe that, but like that style of fighting with like you know a coat or you know you fall over and now the spoon's your weapon kind of thing. Like, um, so he does a lot of that in this, and I was kind of at times I was just like, is this Jack? No, it's not Jackie Chan. I, I was almost getting confused about who I was watching. And it was the first thing I looked at when I got out of the cinema. And I, I couldn't fucking believe it short round. And oh my God, I want him to do more films. I cannot believe we've been robbed for, for his for him for like, I don't know, 30 years or something. Well, I think he's been waiting for this, this opportunity. I think it was like Filthy Rich Asians, which made him realise, oh... Like Asian people are being cast now in Hollywood films, and I guess like that's what I heard him say. Yeah, with, he um, watched. He, he watched. It was just well like stuff like that. There's something for me now, and he, yeah, they they jumped on the Daniels jumped on him, and he's honestly so. I know that he's worked as a choreographer for years, so it makes sense that the so the he's choreography kept up with his martial arts and stuff throughout. Yeah, right. I think that's what he mainly has been working as. Uh, so he's so he's been in the industry 
to an extent, I guess. Then. Yeah, definitely. Enough that um, he's still got an agent and all that kind of stuff. And I assume so. Yeah. Um, he's really good, and not just at the the choreography, not not just at the fight scenes. Um, he carries some emotional scenes as well, really well. Well, I mean, he was um, a good child actor as well, you know. He was, so, yeah. And I have a feeling his last on-screen performance was like a walk-on on California Man or Encino Man. I was going to say, and I know he's Encino yeah. Man, mate. But yeah, honestly, look, I just look out for him. He's it's such a joy, like not because I, you know, you could watch this film and just talk about um, Michelle Yeoh forever, you know, like because she is the whole whole thing, really. But well, I, I think, think his a... part was equally awesome and equally important. Well, this is like officially A24's like highest grossing film ever now, isn't it? I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's, so... yeah, it's fabulous. And James Hong as well is also in it, who you had the best ever interaction with. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> well, we can tell, we haven't, we, we could tell the audience. Um, <laughs> all, all three of you. Um, yeah, me and me and Liam went to a comic convention, or but not a comic convention. It was kind of a mixture of like memorabilia and film and TV and stuff. And it was called memorabilia, and uh, he was signing there, and me and Liam went to go and get his autograph or whatever. And you know, because we grew up watching Big Trouble in China and the X Files episode, is it Bad Money he's in or something like that? Oh God, yeah, Milan and, and fucking Blade Runner, yeah. Being the massive racist that I am, <laughs> I thought he was actually like Chinese, and so I spoke to him in like really broken English. <laughs> but I, in all fairness to me, I was thirteen or fourteen at the yeah, time. Yeah, you were a kid, yeah. but you kind of like do you, do you do you speak English or something? You said something like that, and the guy went, "Yeah, I'm American." <laughs> 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 yeah oh well but yeah james hong ollie's friend james hong <laughs> but, uh, yeah he's he's awesome he's always been good like even like in Wayne he's World literally a, he's literally one of those when's he bad he's not yeah, exactly yeah totally totally so anyway i watched a film called and I Go thought on. it was really good. I, I mean, I wouldn't I say it was amazing, it. but I really, really enjoyed it. And it's um, a total three and a half stars, but a heart. That like yeah, it's but, one of them yeah, for me. Yeah, but very enjoyable. Um, yeah, like I think some of the animation isn't the best. I will say, like, because I think um, okay. Chip is he's definitely three D, even though he looks two D. He is three D with like right. Like, that uh, I, that's interesting. Too. Yeah, and then when you actually see the two D characters they put in the background, I mean, I love all like for me, no one feels wasted. Everyone feels like they should be there. The characters they use, yeah. But sometimes some of the animation is a bit off, like for the background characters and that. It's a bit flash animationy. But um, I bet you caught so many more references than I did. I was watching some of them going, "Is that some something? Is that something they've made up? That feels like it's something in the back of my head, you know?" Like, well, I mean. I mean, I'm sure you saw Randy Marsh in there in like the sauna. There's a uh, Beavis and Butthead. Well, it's Butthead for President on like. One oh, of I the... saw the Butthead for President. Yeah, I saw the yeah. Bigfoot from the Goofy movie. Yes, I'm proud of yeah, catching that one. There. There's there's so much in there. Like it's it is it is really good. And um, what do you think of the voice voices? Because I heard a lot of people don't like the voices of Andy Samberg and I've forgotten the other guy's name. Oh, John Mulaney, isn't it? Yeah, the pig from um, 
from Spider Verse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. Um, I had no problem with it at all. I'm. I think both of us really quite like Akiva Schaefer. Um, yeah, because I know you love Hot Rod, and I think I love <laughs> Popstar. There was that like, time. Um, Do you remember my birthday when I dressed up as him? And, and no everyone, one knew. Everyone was just like, who are, who are you? Everyone thought I was like, got your number, 118, got your number. And I was like, I'm not that guy. I'm not I'm not them. So uh, people kept thinking you were either like that 118 or they thought you were um, Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. That's like, so what I remember. And you kept to be like, hot wood. <laughs> but I also liked um, Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Popstar is so good. Awesome. So fucking good. It's so funny. It's one of the best comedies of like the last decade. And like, even really? they're like, um, is it Lonely Island, you know, the rap band? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're silly, but their videos are always entertaining and stuff like that. Yeah, like, they're great. Yeah. Dick in a box and threw it on the ground and stuff like that. They're all good. I threw it on the ground. And it, but, I think like, it, I mean, I really fucking love Chip and Dale. <laughs> Yeah, I really love Rescue Rangers. It was you know, really important to me as a kid. Like, well, when we were kids, you had those. You had Tailspin, uh, yeah. Duck Tails, Rescue Rangers, yeah. uh, Darkwing Duck. What else? Was yeah, there? that's the that's my kind of that's my bag. Yeah. Oh, Gummy Bears as well. Gummy Bears. I was going to say Gummy Bears. I thought you'd laugh at me, but I fucking gummy loved Gummy Bears. bears. Bouncing here and here. That like especially like Chip and Dale. I when I watched that, I was just like. I couldn't believe that this was a show that existed and it felt like it was made just for me. I just remember the feeling like that as a kid. I have to point out, I didn't get until maybe a year ago or maybe not even that long ago that one of them's dressed as Indiana Jones and one of them's one dressed as Tom fucking Selleck. Hawaii Five-0. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that reference at all. Well, I mean, why would I? I hadn't seen either of those things as a kid, but it didn't even occur to me like once to think they were referencing anything. Um, but um, it's so funny when I got Disney Plus it was the first thing I put on was Chip and Dale to watch and uh, there's only like 40 episodes or something like but, it's so funny but what I love about this film though it, it feels to me that it's in the universe of Roger Rabbit it's the same yeah movie. I that's, think that's why... I really was waiting for them to do an explicit reference to like, like the Roger know, Rabbit that's why there's animal that's why there's animated characters existing with yeah, you know, live action, but with real people, and even the way they shoot the cartoons is exactly the same way as they shoot the cartoons in um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, in terms of a film, that is still the goat in terms of oh, yeah. like live action with hand drawn characters and stuff. You can't be like, and one end you've got like um, Roger Rabbit, and the other scale is like Space Jam Two, basically. Or, or what's the um, uh, Cool World? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean more like in the kind of property uses, the use of oh, like property, yeah, like... and like this is much more towards Roger Rabbit than it is Space Jam Two. It's it's a well, lot. All the references less in it are cartoons. Just... Do you know what I mean? So it's all it's all for the love of cartoons. Whereas Space yeah. Jam is like, well, the second, the first one, not so much, but the second one, where it's just like throw every fucking IP in. Yeah. It's like. This felt not like they were just throwing every IP in. This felt this did feel like they love animation, they love these things, and they wanted yeah. to do something with it. And that I think that comes through when you're watching it. And I think that's what helps it be like a heart, you know. That one makes it, me feel good about it. And I, yeah, it's not perfect, but it is funny, and I it mean, does feel really good. And it got me, and it got me emotionally a couple of points as well. So 
Is it Gumby or whatever? You know, the police detective. He's is it Gumby? You know, that he's, it's more famous yeah, it, in America the yeah. claymation character, and I don't know if he's meant to explicitly be that character. No, because they reference Gumby in it. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah, they actually like, they call him like a cut price Gumby or officer. Like they call it like insult him to it or something. And I can't figure out like, if he Simmons actually is. Film. I can't figure out if he actually is stop motion or if it's just CGI that's made to look like stop motion. But obviously, he's animated like. More know, jerky, nine isn't he? frames yeah. a second or whatever, as opposed to you know twenty four frames a second or whatever, and um, like this, that's J.K. Simmons, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and okay, so the big thing is you've got Ugly Sonic in it. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it actually licensed Sonic, or is it have they managed to get around it by calling it Ugly Sonic or something? No, they've definitely had to approach Paramount, whoever owns the yeah. Sonic license, and they would have had to say, like, let's sign a deal to put the character in our film, please. Like, so, <laughs> like, it, which is kind of funny because the amount of fucking effort the CGI artists put into making that character, it's kind of funny that it has been used in a film. Uh, <laughs> but I like the fact it, that it's used being... really well. <laughs> like, it's but not taking he... the piss, it's actually like. It's lovingly done, I think. But is he human-sized, or is he... Oh, God, I don't know. This is what I couldn't work <laughs> He's out. kind of human-sized, isn't he? Yeah, that makes it even more scarier, I think, because Sonic's meant to be, like, what, three foot tall, two and a half, maybe? <laughs> like, it's so funny how, like, um, I got used to seeing him in the film. <laughs> like, it stopped looking weird to me by the time like it comes to the end it is bonkers though when they made that first sonic that 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 version got signed off and approved and they're like yep this is our sonic insane what the fuck it's like did anyone look at sonic i can't blame the artist they like you know cgi cgi artists have such a hard time but the person designing that sonic was noted to death yeah to yeah, the point, he probably, I imagine, he or absolutely. she or they or whoever made it, whoever drew it, probably had a very more like real, like like a, a, a realistic interpretation of the Sonic we know, and then it just got noted to the death, and yeah. it became this monstrosity. Yeah, because you can see it happening. Like they probably drew the original one looking like Sonic, and then it went off, and they went, "Why is like his arms white?" And you know, like let's make them blue because his fur's blue, and yeah. uh, that little change already changes what sonic looks like because sonic doesn't have blue arms it's all because it was a sprite you know like the same way like you so know, you could the see reason, the, arms, the reason basically. he reason uh mario wears a jumpsuit is because they wanted you to be able to see his arms like because you yeah. can't see it when it's one color so it's all because of that but there's not this but that was the design and that's what sonic looks like it's weird well, to change I mean, that he still has blue arms now in, in yeah i know yeah but in the new in the new one they kept that it's just something that always pops when i ever see the new sonic because i did watch sonic 2 whenever i see it it's one thing i can't stop looking at because it's like why it's not what he looks like it's like it's it's weird <laughs> it's the teeth that were weird in that, that, that it's I so mean, odd i it's mean that's the big nose joke, and isn't teeth. It? They it just staring looks so... at the teeth why were they looking so much at a hedgehog <laughs> rather than sonic <laughs> Oh, did you notice who did the voice of you know the is it Montgomery Montgomery Jack? What's his name? You know the the one who's obsessed with cheese. Yeah, yeah, Montgomery Jack. Yeah, it was. Eric it's Barner. Eric Barner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, d- I couldn't hear him. I just know because I've looked it up. But, but I, I'm intrigued to see if they do more because I I feel like this could have been. I would have seen this at the cinema. 
Yeah, I think like, dumping this on Disney Plus was a mistake. I think yeah, this could have made quite a lot of money in the cinema. Like the amount of effort they went to 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 mm. like secure all the licenses for all the characters. All, yeah. All the favors. Even the fact Disney let like them that. do that because Disney are a company that do not laugh at themselves. They're very serious as a yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. They take themselves very seriously, and I can't believe Akiva taught them into it. Really. I mean, the bootlegging plot I thought was genius, and it, yeah, and like you know when they go in that machine and like. They t- they turn them into like a Ren and Stimpy esque version and things yeah. like that. Just, you know that's that that is just screams to me. That's like my wheelhouse. But, yeah, um, yeah. I thought they did. I thought and just really like good. you can tell the I just love seeing these characters again. Like I didn't know I had, you know, it's strong nostalgia for me. I didn't know I needed to see Chippendale again, but I did, and I needed to see them get the gang back together. I just needed yeah. there was something inside of me that needed to see it, and I'm really happy. I love the fact that Gadget got with the fly as well. <laughs> They've like, got like, these fly mouse baby can... things. That was a good touch. Yeah, it was good. It was it was good. As you say, it's not perfect, but it's it's good. I did see there was a bit. There was a reference because they Roger Rabbit's in it, and they talk about Jessica yeah, yeah. Rabbit as well. But they also um, Sweet Pete has a jar of dip. Yeah. As yes, well. I noticed like, that. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Which I was like, yeah. And I looked. So I was making. I was waiting for them to make explicit reference, but that was enough of a reference that this is the same universe for me. I mean, when the I did not like the animation of Sweet Pea. It looked like a a two thousand and four cell cell shaded video game. It looked a bit. That was my least favorite. I think Sweet Pea yeah. was my least favorite part of it. I did like it when he became like. You know the bootleg version at the end, where he's kind of like yeah, the destructor con, where yeah. it's built up of all these different things. So he's got like an Optimus Prime leg and all that kind of stuff. I just I don't think fun. it should have been Peter Pan. I think yeah, it I should have been like a shitty two thousand animation, something that we don't love. You know, home on the range, that... like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly, like bolt the dog. I don't know, like yeah. it's sh- it should have been something like that i think i think making peter pan didn't totally work for me especially because part of the plot was about him aging and he's got a machine that can redraw you so why wouldn't he just redraw himself young yeah (laughs) and like and he's also the only one who's aged (laughs) the only cartoon who's aged and if dale can have surgery that makes him look cgi why couldn't if he had surgery that makes him look yeah uh, exactly but I, it's a shame they didn't like with the Roger Rabbit thing. Like, it would have been perfect for like Jessica Rabbit to have had the CGI up, upscale treatment. Do you know what I mean? Like she's, you know, yeah. like how in the in the original film Betty Boop is the only black and white cartoon. She's yes, like, you know, work's yeah. been really hard since you know cartoons went to color. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe you know Jessica Rabbit became CGI to kind of keep up with the times and stuff. Like keep that. up with the game, yeah. But, I yeah. like that idea a lot. That's that. I loved the kind of two thousand and it, like the guy from Beowulf and stuff. That was really funny. I me. just love like, the, yeah. oh, do you mean um, Seth Rogen's character? Yeah, and <laughs> he can't look in a particular direction. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dale definitely was. They were referencing um, Alvin and Chipmunks for him, surely. Like you know, that's, yes, we're going for that. But no, and I think you know the I I've, I've forgotten the name of the female actress you know but she did a good job of like you know doing the Bob Hoskins things of having to hold characters that aren't really there and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Kiki Lane. I only know her from the Old Guard. Um, yeah, she did a good job. 
I think she's in Bittle Street Could Talk as well. But yeah, she was really good. She was really good. Oh, I loved the Muppet as well, the cheese Muppet guy that was a bit like the Swedish yes. kind of. <laughs> I think that was, was that Keegan, Mike and Key as well? It was, yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. I mean, I just, you know me, I love things that are an amalgamation of different kind of animation styles and stuff. And so, you know. I just really enjoyed it. I don't know why it, it hasn't got, you know, I'm not like a four or five with it, but I think it's, like you said, it's like a perfect three and a half, but a very enjoyable <laughs> three and a half. I think maybe it's a bit, not forgettable, but it's kind of, when you're in the moment watching it, it's really fun. But when you finish watching it, it's like, oh, okay, that's that's the, I don't know if I'll watch yeah. it again, but like. It was a, per- I watched it like Saturday morning. Yeah. And it like perfect time I made to some watch eggs it. and I sat down with yeah, the dog and I watched it and it was perfect. It was like that this is a Saturday morning. You know, this, you need to sit down with your cereal, like proper sugary cereal, like an lucky child <laughs> yeah. or something. That's how you need to watch it. In your pajamas. In your pajamas. And what else you watched? I watched The Northman, I really like I really like Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched The Northman? No, I have not watched The Northman yet. It's one I'm really excited to watch. But... You're going to fucking love Bjork in it. Oh, my God. I've seen a picture of her costume, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. So good. I watched X. Really good horror film. Really good slasher horror film. Really recommend yeah. it. Kind of annoyed about it goes a bit into uh, mental health things again, especially of old people. Don't like that. Oh, like the... Like, stop um, do, the stop visit, doing that. The visit and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just stop doing that. You don't need to. Um, I watched. Uh, I I, I, mean, I watched it. I it's. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched. We're all going to the world's fair, and it's wonderful. So watch that. Okay. I don't want to spoil anything about it, but it's it's. I think uh, Jane uh, Shoban Shoban is going to be a really good um, force um, in filmmaking, okay. and I want to see what more she does. I think. I'll check that one out. I'll just top off with a few that I watched. So I watched uh, on Netflix a film called Metal Lords. Oh, cool. I've been wanting to see that. It's from the director of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. It's about uh, two friends who form a metal band. One's like a proper metalhead and the other one's kind of like a nerdy kind of kid. And um, basically they form a metal band and they're kind of looking for a bassist throughout the film. And uh, they befriend uh, this girl who plays the double bass. And the one who's like a full-on metalhead doesn't want her in the band and stuff like that. But, you know, the nerdy kid's like, you know, look, she's good. You know, I think she'll bring something that's quite unique to the band. And uh, I quite enjoyed it. I think, you know, another solid three and a half out of five film for me. I, I quite enjoyed it. Cool. You know, it's got it's got Mastodon in it. So, you know, I'm bound to enjoy it. Cool. I will have to watch it. I will have to check it out. Uh, another film I watched was a documentary. It's called The Orange Years, The Nickelodeon Story. Okay. Uh, okay. And it's it's all right. It's it it's basically it starts off quite interesting, like telling you about the history about how you know Nickelodeon came to be and stuff like that. But then it just yeah. becomes a series of like ten minute mini documentaries where they just go, okay, now we're going to talk about uh, Doug for ten minutes, and now we're going to talk about Ren's Dim for ten minutes. Now we're going to talk about this for ten minutes. And it just right. It, it felt more like a. YouTube it has no kind of flow just, to it. Yeah, and then at the end, the end made me laugh because in the last two minutes, it's like. You know, they're talking about how, you know, Nick, you couldn't really buy much Nickelodeon merch apart from like slime and stuff like that in the early days. And it's because they didn't want to 
they didn't want it to be a channel where they were selling stuff to kids you know the whole you know you had your he-mans and your transformers that were created to sell products to kids basically and the whole like ethos of nickelodeon was that we're not selling stuff to kids the, the you know the prod the cartoons and the shows come first that's and interesting went, and then they're like then spongebob happened and then we made millions and we basically sold out. And that was the end. Right. And the woman right, okay. who kind of created Nickelodeon, or she didn't create it, but she was the one who kind of built it to what it became. She like left Nickelodeon because she said, you know, I built it up to, you know, the highest I can build it up to. And I, I, I like the idea of startups of something, you know, building something. Yeah, that's from what, yeah, yeah. So she left that's to join Disney. <laughs> okay, that's not a startup. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so that was a it was okay it's on amazon prime if you're interested um i mean they they kind of really glance over ren stimpy probably for obvious reasons because of the director but also there's there is like a, an hour and a half two hour documentary all about ren and stimpy called yeah true. happy happy Georgia. what about rocco's modern life they talk about that as well and it made me remember how good rocco's modern life is and i really want to kind of revisit that soon yeah, I've I've revisited it and I really like it. I really really I, do like it. I still haven't watched the Netflix film. I need to watch that. It's good. It's good. I need to watch that. Uh, then I'll talk about one last film I watched, and that's called Chuck Steele: Night of the Trampires. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so so this so Chuck Steele originally started off as a short film that came out about ten years ago, and it's called Chuck Steele: Balls of Steel. And it's like a claymation kind of action event, like an action film, like, you know, like a diehard kind of thing, but all in plasticine. And the animation is fantastic. I will say that. But fantastic to the point where it kind of goes into the uncanny valley, because I don't know if they use some sort of frame interpretation kind of or frame smoothing. So, you know, like if you turn on like your TV and you put on motion smoothing, it kind of adds extra frames. And it kind of gives it that kind of fake digital look to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I can. I think I can picture it. This film reeks of that. And it's kind of, I don't know what it, like for me, like one of the things about stop motion is it should feel a bit jerky. Yeah. And this, this sure. felt too smooth. But like, I don't want to fault the animators because the animation is fantastic. Yeah. But um, sure. I've forgotten the name of the director, but he did a series in the 90s called Gogs. And it was basically like a claymation, like a cave, caveman show. Do you remember it? Yes, I do. Yeah, it's kind of like came yeah. around the same time as like Wallace and Gromit was big and stuff like that, but it wasn't as yeah. big as looking as uh, Wallace and Gromit. And uh, he's based in Wales, and this film is all shot in Wales, and it's all funded by like the Welsh Film, I don't know, whatever association or whatever. Um, and I think maybe the lottery, some lottery funding as well. Okay. But oh god, <laughs> the script is atrocious. And it's like, like don't get me wrong, I don't mind some offensive stuff as as long as it's kind of got a point to it, or it's you get, know, yeah. a satire or whatever. This was just offensive for the sake of being. A, I don't even know if they know they're being offensive, or it's just just crap jokes. It felt like it was written by Jethro or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh God, just oh God. Like, And I felt so bad because of all the hard work the animators put into making like the yeah. animation wonderful. You know the. The sets look amazing. I'm not a big fan of the, the look of the characters, but they're still sculpted well. And I just felt what an absolute utter waste. Because, like, I mean, I've, 
there's horrible transgender jokes in it and stuff like that that not not a joke that just lasts for like two seconds in the film it's the whole film and it's just gross it's just gross like so basically the whole it sounds like a film that's like 20 years out of date oh yeah the massive so basically the the idea is that vampires and you know dracula and that have been um kicked out of transylvania and they've made their way to america and they've become homeless and drunks and then now they just feed off drunk people so it's called trampires i mean calling them tramps in it is already offensive do you know what i mean because you know anyway and then in the police so in the uh, police station they have like a psychologist who's voiced by jennifer saunders i'm really surprised jennifer saunders did this and it transpires in the film that the head vampire is the uh is this psychologist and she's basically trying to demasculate all the police force, and she's made the captain uh, think he's a wants to be a woman and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh come on, guys! Oh my this, you're... God! And I was just watching it out of, for after a while. I was just watching it out of pure curiosity, like going, "What? Yeah. How did this happen? Like what? Like who? And what I found out was the film was finished in 2018." But could no one? No one wanted to touch it. No one wanted to release it. So they kind of did like a self-release, basically, and it ended up on. It's not on. It's on Amazon, but you have to pay to rent it. So I actually paid to watch this piece of shit. <laughs> and I, like I said, like I, I actually applied to work on this. This was when it was just the Chuck Steele film, and thankfully I didn't get to. You know, they thought I was shit, and I didn't get to work on it. But like, I am so glad because. I could not imagine spending four years of your life working on this, and that was the end product. Like, oh, it was it made me feel icky watching it. And I'm I surprised can't I finished it. Exists. I finished watching because I paid five pounds to watch the fucking thing. <laughs> but to be fair, though, I should have known by the title of the film, really. You know. <laughs> yeah, but you sometimes think as it got its tongue in its like exactly, cheek. Exactly. Yeah, it just... there's something to it. But yeah, anyway, there's nothing to it. I do remember that Gogs. I don't remember liking it though. I have to say. All I remember there was a baby in it, like a baby caveman that that had like a big snotty bogey that kind of like well, was a balloon that just kept going in and out. Yeah. So I remember. Weird of memory. It. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about a good film. Yeah. Okay. I want to quickly mention two things. One, uh, I went to go see the French film Happening. Oh yeah, it's um, it's fucking wonderful. Like, it's a really, 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 really good film um, about um, abortion in France in the sixties, where it was illegal. Um, mm-hmm. So this young girl gets pregnant, and it's about her seeking an abortion at a time where trying to get an abortion will put you in jail. Um, it will make a fantastic double double film with um, the Agnes Varda film. Um, one sings, the other doesn't, which is also about kind of abortion rights in the seventies in France. And you know, Varda spoke a lot about how she signed the petition. She had an abortion when it was illegal and stuff like that. So um, I think, I think, you know, I we do think that will make a fantastic double header. This film is shot so well. It's shot, it's it's shot so personally. It's got like it always feels like you're right up against these characters. Um, it's shot so quietly. 
like you don't feel the camera kind of getting in the way it feels really personal and it just feels haunting the whole film has this horrible tension and anxiety to it like the character just feels stuck like this almost like a horror film that this terrible things happening to her body that she cannot control and everyone is like you can't tell anyone because if you know if you tell someone you're seeking an abortion that can land you in jail so she doesn't know who she can talk to she asks a doctor to um to give her like something to have like help her have a miscarriage and he um he prescribes um basically estrogen uh not telling her what it is but something that will actually strengthen the abortion strengthen the baby (laughs) like um and tells her just start injection injecting this like it's it's absolutely just gut-wrenching i felt sick during it i had to look away at some scenes i couldn't look at the screen in some scenes um it got to me so much and uh i just think everyone should watch this film i think it's fantastic well especially with what's going on as well now literally that was going to say that the day after the day after i saw this film is is when the court thing went for america that um and I just so, couldn't, after sitting so there and watching this absolute horror story about the idea of like abortion being illegal, or actually not even the idea, when it was, um, that someone could possibly think we can go back to that uh, that world is um, terrifying to me. Absolutely terrifying. So I really, really think it's an important film and I think people should really try and catch it. The Happening. happening. Just called Happening. Just Happening. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say uh, the happening. Not the involved. plant one. Yeah, not... <laughs> not M. Night's plant attack. <laughs> and what's the other film you watch? Uh, I just wanted to say that we need to talk about the trailer. Because mm. a, an important trailer came out today that stars yeah. my best friend, Tom Cruise. <laughs> do you think you'd actually be friends with Tom Cruise? Yes. You actually do? I do. I think it's impossible not to be friends with Tom Cruise. I think he's friends with everyone. That's the whole Scientology thing, like... He just seems... He's got that, like... You know that he would know your name with two seconds and keep repeating oh, yeah. at you. Like, yeah. and just grabbing your arm and being like, hey, how you doing? Like, he doesn't feel like a real person. That's what I love about him. Yeah. I can't imagine Tom Cruise living. Like, I think just he does a film and afterwards he just gets sealed in a box <laughs> until they need him again. Hibernates, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knock I just can't the, imagine him going door. out for lunch or Tom, something. <laughs> Tom, it's time to film... Mission Impossible 8. And he wakes up and he does a big yawn. He does a big yawn and then starts running. Does about push-ups. Yeah. Runs on his treadmill really intensely. I just... I, I, I'm fascinated what Tom Cruise's career looks like after Mission Impossible. What like I think the only other actor I can compare him to is is um Clint Eastwood. Uh, in, like, he's... Tom Cruise exists as his own property no one else is directing Tom Cruise now. Like, I know that Top Gun and the Mission Impossibles are directed by, you know, Macquarie. Yeah, but um, Macquarie is pretty much directing for... For Tom for Cruise. Cruise. surely, yeah. do you know what I mean? He's, that's he's, what I mean. That's like a... It, he's like almost a Tom Cruise alter, you know? Every single film that Tom Cruise is in, I think Macquarie has a hand in writing now. Yeah, he wrote... He wrote um, he wrote uh, the new Top Gun. He's not directing it. The guy who did Oblivion, uh, Joseph Kosinski, yeah, he's directing the new Top Gun. Again, it's like Tom Cruise like finds these directors. Like you're gonna direct me now. You're gonna be that like yeah, that's your um, job now. You just direct that's, me. Yeah, you direct me doing things. Um, 
and I just would be I'm so interested in what he does as a career I don't know how he how he ages what he ages into um I I think it's been really weird I do think it's Clint Eastwood like um just that he will continuously make films until he dies and he'll be doing it at 90 I swear he will be he does look I just good think in this new trailer though for the new Mission Impossible like he looks so good he's got and it, just, he's got the look I like for this sounds really <laughs> He's got the look I love for Tom Cruise, like the short hair, and he looks so handsome, like super yeah. handsome. He looks like a movie star. He's an absolute fucking movie star. There's just they don't exist anymore. He's like last of the movie stars. And no one looks like him on screen. No one has so much understanding of how they come across on screen than Tom Cruise does. I think I just it feels he feels like an auto hair for his body. Do you know what I, I mean? It's going like, back to his hair, I love his hair in the first Mission Impossible. It's like weirdly <laughs> spiked up. It, I like, don't understand. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. A buzz cut, but it's like it's a, it's a weird hair. Do you I'm like the shaggy hair in two? Long hair though. Like, he do you like do, the shaggy hair in two? Yeah. No, I didn't do anything for me. He kind of had. <laughs> I like, quite like it. He kind of had curtains in like, like four and five. I think five. He definitely had longer hair, didn't he? Yeah. And I think he's gradually guy. getting shorter again. <laughs> he's got it a good length now. <laughs> he has. <laughs> but no, I'm like, I, I still haven't watched Top Gun. So hopefully, you know, that's, when's that out? In like two weeks? Next week. Is it, next, is it the same week as Jurassic yeah. Park? Or is Jurassic Park the week after? Good question. I don't know. I haven't really kept up a, up to date with that. Or is it this week is Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise Tom, out? Tom, Tom, Tom Gun. <laughs> Top cruise, <laughs> top cruise. It might be this week, you know. It might be this. It might actually be this week. It might. I think it's this week. I think it's out this week. So you have to get on it. <laughs> no, I'm definitely gonna watch it. But uh... as far as I can tell, it doesn't matter. I think there's like I don't think it matters if you've seen the first Top Gun in the slightest. No, but I feel like it's a film I should watch. Like I've definitely, I've yeah. seen. You know, my sister owned it on VHS when we were grown up so I've definitely you know I've seen big chunks of it but I've never seen it sequentially in order it's so, getting rave reviews I've seen I've seen yeah in in ways that I don't think anyone expected as well I think it, a lot of people have written it off so like five years ago we did um, The Mummy yeah and that was a big failure for him he must have had like a massive regroup with it, with his people and like right how how do we write this shit this is this isn't going to happen again yeah, I think and so. It, and the top, problem with the mummy gun. is that um, it's the director wasn't a Tom Cruise director. Like it was, what's his face? Who's really shit <laughs> Alec Kurtzman. Ah, uh, Alec. Kurtzman. Uh, who was basically his first movie, I think. Because he the guy who wrote like... the pirates movies. No. Yeah, he wrote. He wrote every bad film you've ever watched. Is what he wrote. <laughs> yeah. He wrote like, he wrote Transformers. Uh, the the. Star Trek, Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man 2, <laughs> Cowboys and Aliens, <laughs> The Island. <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of the kind of auteurs of fucking like the new Star Treks, even the TV shows, and you can see his badness on them. Um, but yeah, he's the one who... He, and he started producing films. He did like Now You See Me and stuff like that. Like and, he, and The Mummy was his first directing break. And you can just tell that he doesn't have a clue what he's doing and he's using Tom Cruise badly. And how the fuck do you use Tom Cruise badly? You've seen his films. Do you reckon anyway. Tom Cruise tried to um, 
realign that film or yes. you know try to kind of I, I think that's actually what one of the reasons it doesn't doesn't work because he was he was trying to push it in the direction he feels it should go in because he's tom cruise and you had alex kurtzman deciding what direction he wants to take it in and then you had the studio wanting to make it the dark universe so you had like so many people pulling it in different directions and they all settle in a place it's awkward it's such a bad film. It's an awful film. I do film. think, like, yeah. I haven't seen it, but The Mummy just seems such a bad fit for Tom Cruise, though. Any, yeah, generally. it's dumb. It's absolute. It's dumb casting. He shouldn't be in it. It doesn't make sense. It's like shouldn't go anywhere near it. But you can tell he was just f- trying to find a franchise. He's, he, you know, he goes out there looking for franchises yeah. that can he can make his own. What, like he he definitely likes the guy as well who did Edge of Tomorrow because they've done a few films, haven't they? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What's yeah, his yeah. name? He did swingers. Doug Lyman. Doug, Doug Lyman, yeah, because they did. Uh, is it American Made? American Made, which is really that was, good. It's really yeah. good as well, yeah. Yeah. But I hope they team up again. I'd, I'd even watch another um, Edge of Tomorrow because I really enjoyed. I'd love a sequel to that. That yeah. film rules. It does, <laughs> yeah. and really it holds good. up on repeat viewings as well, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the trailer then for Mission Impossible? I just, I was, I, was, I felt like I wanted to cry. I don't know. I just think it just looked amazing. I just no one fucking makes blockbusters like this. Like, just they don't. They don't feel like this. They, it's gonna be sad when Mission Impossible stops because people. The only other films that are like this are Bond movies. You know, that are yeah. shot on location, are shot with huge set pieces, are, are actor forward. Um, they're not fucking superpowers. There's not a fucking CGI animal in there that's talking at you. Like, it's a fucking Tom Cruise running on a train. You know, because trains are cinema. <laughs> like, and we, that, look, and like I love it. kind of referencing that first scene, no, that end scene of the first film on the train. Yeah, yeah. Red yeah. light, green light. <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like a ton of references to the first one because you have the, um, the character returning as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. The yeah. old head of the IMF. Yeah. Who, the actor's name's gonna out my head but yeah he's um and you've got the daughter of one of the of one of the characters in the first one i think john voigt's character might be his daughter's in this so there's definitely a reference there's like quite hard references to the first mission impossible which is really so bizarre that they but but really cool that they're bringing it fully back in um but it's always been back in like the 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 brian de palma film's really important for the whole franchise it's why it's why like Ethan Hunt's a lunatic in every other film is because his whole team were killed and he can't let that go. You know, he can't can't let let that ever happen again. And that's just how they've written every one of those films. And they're so good and they work so well. And it's insane that they're some of the best films being made. Uh, Like not best films, but you just like that, just that blockbuster power. Yeah, Yeah, just action blockbuster. It's, they're brilliant. And I'm just so happy. <laughs> like there was someone posted that meme of um, uh, Del Toro saying like it's art, it's something, it's it's love, it's cinema or something. And I was like, mm-hmm. yep, yep, I agree. <laughs> like it's this is what I needed. Well, it's it's really easy to become a film snob, Brandon. Yeah. Just kind of <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, you've got to take it all. Do you know what I mean? Even the popcorn stuff is great. You know. I'd weigh some of the best popcorn films up to some of the best art house films and stuff because it's all, you know, it's all cinema. It's all it's cinema. All good. You know, there's really shit art housey films or independent films. There's really shit. There definitely films, is. You know, so, you know. But yeah. yeah, I'm really hyped about that. And I'm sure we're talking about Top Gun in the near future too. I hope so. I hope so. 
So anyway, Liam, what are we talking about today? Today, this is insane, actually. I can't believe we're going Tom Cruise to this. This is a... (laughs) I cannot do this transition. But it's so weird how... Like, we started this podcast saying we're going to do decade by decade, you know, and we started with the 90s. It was quite familiar to us. And the furthest back we'd gone is the 50s, which was slightly familiar to me. I, I understood 50s films more than I, like I thought I did. And, you know, I learned a lot whilst we went through the 50s. This, this is a whole nother fucking world. Okay, because we're back to the 1930s. This is nearly 100 years old, this film. Nearly 100 years old. 92 years old. It's just the invention of sound cinema, which is insane. I think 1927 is the first sound movies start coming out. And so um, they start. But yeah, it's definitely the earliest you can get uh, for those films kind of coming through. Um, And it's just... (laughs) <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say but like yeah I just even just to take that art form so far back I I think that we're it almost feels like we're entering a different world like things that we've got used to that were invented styles of acting styles of cinematography um, styles of telling stories they don't necessarily exist in the world that we're entering this this decade you know they're finding their feet they're they're finding new things to do they're all everyone is a fucking pioneer even though cinema's been around for like 50 years before this but whatever like um it's still like it's it's a new like world and i think this is going to be a really weird and interesting miniseries well, doing, the, doing a bit of research for the film we're talking about today and just the era like there was kind of a slump in hollywood or like you know there was a lot of bad thoughts about hollywood up until this point like it already kind of like declined and it, you know we're only talking mm-hmm. about 1930 you know like <laughs> to, the, right? to the point where they had to have you know the what do you call it the um the Hayes Code, you talking the, about the code? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a really good thing to bring up because the Hayes Code comes in in the mid thirties. Yeah, well, um, it's like I think it's like it's brought in in the third nineteen thirty, but it takes a while for yeah. Towards. But the thing is, it's not even it wasn't legal. They didn't have to do it. No, kind of like, it wasn't. They were kind of like pressured by him or talked into it. You know, yeah, it's nuts. It uh, the MCAA that which they'd become. Uh, that it wasn't a legal thing to uh, have to submit your film to them, but they ended up taking over the um, the distribution, and cinemas were forced to not carry films that w- weren't mm. licensed by the the Motion Picture Production Code kind of thing. Uh, it was all kind of backwardsly forced on the art, basically. And we, I guess, we're bouncing around this a little bit. Like there was a number of scandals in the twenties um, for Hollywood. Um, it was seen as like a den of iniquity. Mm-hmm. Um, a big scandal is the Fatty Arbuckle scandal, where he was um, biggest, like the biggest comedy star, apart from like Chaplin and and, and a really. restaurateur. And a restaurateur. <laughs> Have you ever eaten a Fatty Arbuckle? Yeah, we ate your birthday one year. Did we? I yeah, don't remember that. In, in, in you know, by Piss Fountain in Birmingham, there was one there. And it became a Hooters <laughs> after that. I never went to. Hooters, it did. Be- so. I remember going to the Hooters. I never went reason. to a Hooters. I so. definitely went to the Hooters. Um, yeah, so, uh, and the Fatty Arbuckle scandal, to really sum it up because it's complicated, um, and a young girl died at a Fatty Arbuckle party, and they started, it seemed like it was natural causes, I think, um, but 
the papers and the media got into it and they accused him of they, they saying that he sat on her or she died having sex with him and stuff like that because they're playing on his weights and things um uh and it just became a huge thing about hollywood being this uh full of mobsters and and full of like gangsters and full of these unscrupable people and part of that was like queer stuff as well i, I think mm-hmm. we spoke about before that like it's quite open in 20s hollywood about like people's sexuality and stuff like that and then the, when wow. the 1930s started coming in it all got swept away because they were seen as like what we're dealing with today they were polluting the kids through media and stuff like in the 20s they'd have like mixed couples you know black and white couples and that and as yeah. soon as this code came around they weren't allowed to do that anymore you know they weren't yeah. even allowed to even suggest sex you know yeah there was limits on uh there was limits on the time you could kiss on camera yeah uh i know hitchcock because i know hitchcock better than other directors so i'm sure other directors did this but hitchcock would do things like uh hide their lips whilst kiss- kissing like move the camera a little bit so they could have longer kisses because technically yeah, the like lips were on screen like for a while. Or yeah, and all like cut the camera away and cut back to it and stuff like that. They'll do things to make longer kisses on screen, but because the, the code said you couldn't have like lips touching for more than three seconds or something like that. Even if it wasn't even really in the code, it was weird. It was sometimes they weren't explicitly stated as well. It just became almost the wills of the the board, you know, the the certification board and what they felt. Yes was going on so they would write back to you with like these people are together for too long or i see too much leg on that girl and stuff and you had to kind of do the film we're talking about today has a sex sequence in it which you don't see anything you just see a wall don't you (laughs) for like a good minute i think the important thing to say about i i I think we'll talk about it more but this film is not a code era film like and i think you can fucking tell that this is not a code era film (laughs) I think it's really, really obvious that they're going full out there, like, like without this bothering of trying to play up to the censors. I think it becomes rigorously enforced from about 34, but it is kind of, in 1930, is bouncing around. It runs until 1954, this code. Like, it's, so the entirety of mainly the 30s and 40s of, of filmmaking were subject to this ludicrous fucking, like, code about um like you can't ridicule the clergy or you like it's absolute insane stuff about what they think is decent and indecent there's loads of stuff about the use of firearms and fighting and smoking and stuff like that like use of drugs and stuff i think especially quite a lot of 30s i mean 20s and pre-code films have quite explicit drug use and things in them because they were all fucking on coke and amphetamines in hollywood (laughs) And that all kind of gets cut out. And it's not, it's, this is not about like films have to be full of like sex and violence and stuff like that for them to be good. But this rigorous enforcement of stupid censorship is, um, was absolutely fucking insane. I think it's something that we have to, uh, we should poke people to constantly remind them how fucking dumb this was. Uh, especially with this shit that's going on with Disney now, right? But like, and then later, <clears throat> around the same time or a little bit later, you had the comic book code as well. Exactly the same kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Same you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonkers. So what but film are we talking that's about? That's pre-code Hollywood, and the film we are talking about is All Quiet on the Western Front by Lewis. I guess it's Milestone. I want to keep wanting to call him Milston. Well, he, he's Russian, <laughs> isn't he? So it's not actually his name. It's like... Um... 
What's his name? It's Lee Lee Milston, isn't it? Oh right, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. You taught me something. Mr. Milston. Um, and there is a trailer for this. For, for I was going to say, run trailer? <laughs> is <yeah>. that a thing? <laughs> Kaiser's got everything he needs. Well, he never had a war before. Every full-grown emperor needs one war to make him famous. I'll tell you how it should all be done. Whenever there's a big war coming on, you should rope off a big field... And sell tickets. Yeah. And... And on the big day, you should take all the kings and their cabinets and their generals Put them in the center, dressed in their underpants, and let them fight it out with clubs. The best country wins. Never before, and perhaps never again, will the scream capture so completely, so profoundly, the emotional crises of men whose utter loneliness ate away their hearts, whose pathetic yearning for love drove them to distraction, whose sheer terror knew no bounds. This is the immortal screen achievement, which has become more dramatic, more vital with every passing year. See it. See it again. See it with your heart wide open. For this is the motion picture about which it can truly be said, no man or woman can afford to miss it. If I remember, there's an actress that I think got completely reshot for the film. She didn't test very really? well. And they completely cut all the scenes. And there's only uh, about three girls in the whole film. I, know. I think it was the mother, I think. Really? Yeah, so the actress who played his mother, I think, is a comedic actor. Well, what originally, the original actress was a comedic actor. So when people saw her on screen, they started to laugh. Oh, and so, right. So... You know, they couldn't accept seeing a comedic actress or actor in a serious role, so they reshot all the scenes. I, I'm pretty sure huh. I read that. That's really Yeah, here we go, yeah. Uh, noted comedian Zazu Pitts was originally cast as Paul Mother and completed the film, but preview audiences used to seeing her in, in comedic roles laughed when she was appeared on screen. So they reshot. That's insane. And she, 30 seconds of her performances in the original preview trailer. Oh right! Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting. There's a fact for you. Yeah, have we, have we ran the trailer already? Or we... <laughs> Do I need to pause talking? No. Okay. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is a film 
about um uh, it's it's showing world war 1 through like the eyes of an everyday german soldier that's that's all it is that's all this little film is <laughs> it's, and i am yeah. um, it's worth saying it's an anti-war film, like it's 100%. strongly anti-war. I was actually shocked how strongly anti-war film this is. Actually, it quite explicitly is a, a statement of pa- like of pacifism, which is really sad when it's in the thirties. <laughs> yeah, because things coming, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. Um, there was. It's worth like. The film itself was a remake of a book that came out in 1929, I believe. Like it was absolutely rushed, um, absolutely rushed into uh, production for Hollywood. Uh, it was one of the biggest selling books of its year. It was a giant success. Written by a German author whose name I will butcher. It's a uh, singer like Eric Eric Maria Remarque, who um, at who write he wrote all three of these books because I believe there was. I believe there was three, but at, they, they they just, at least there film, was the sequel, they? The Road Back, the Road which Back. Um, was directed by James Whale, who we have covered on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but the, the Road Back was butchered. Uh, I think we spoke about that before. Like they, the studio did anyone return, or was it one it. of those sequels in name only, or like where none of the original? I've no idea. Started. You know, that's really funny. Yeah, I think it's more like a kind of um, uh, emotional sequel to it yeah, i think it's about the soldiers coming back into life after like going back into the uh into civilian life after the war Got you. Uh, and um it's i mean it's all kind of mental really because they're all kind of mental that's my big critic wording <laughs> that this was i don't know 15 years after the maybe less than that 11 years after the end of world war one and for a book and then the film to come out that was actually about the german side and a really sympathetic uh view of the the german side and trying to explain them uh what it felt like to be like a german soldier in this i think is actually quite remarkable for hollywood to decide to um to adapt it's i can't believe they didn't just go like well why don't we make them just americans you know i can't believe they didn't do that frankly mm-hmm. uh, that they actually kept on with the america the german theme and thought that was important i'm surprised that the studio went with that uh, but maybe it's because the book was such a success the book was absolutely huge like it sold something like 2.5 million copies or something um so maybe it was something to do with the success of the book that made it that they did a faithful adaptation of it. So I just think then to take this and do a sympathetic view of the German soldiers in thirty, you know, nineteen thirty is actually quite a remarkable thing, and it yeah, does show you, I like, think, because every other war film you see, you know, the Germans or you know the people on you know that side were always depicted as. The villains weren't they whereas you know yeah. this this is the first time where you see them as a real person <laughs> you know like yeah it's just are, absolutely sympathetic you know, there's yeah. a scene like you know we'll get to it later on but there's an amazing scene when they're all they've all just had food they're you know for the first time in ages you know they get loads of beans and sausages yeah it, it looks like see- beans and pork and stuff it looked quite good actually mm, those beans look a bit sloppy for me i don't like uh sloppy beans. <laughs> don't like sloppy beans no they have to be <laughs> cooked really well for me but um they have like this really good conversation where they basically all talk about that like none of them know what kind of why this war is happening 
they've all got I think that scene and, is spectacular and, you yeah. know uh, I thought it's such a great scene you know th- these are kids who are just you know they either are thrown into it or they kind of chosen because they think it's what they should do because they've been told mm-hmm. that it's you know the right thing to do and they're kind of the, questioning um, whether you know is this the right thing you know I'm I've met an Englishman for the first time. It's probably the first time he's met a German person. And is he the yeah other? those yeah those lines that it was I wrote it down because I thought they were just really got to the heart of it. But it goes the Kaiser doesn't seem to want this. He's at home. Um, maybe it was the English that wanted this war, but I don't want to shoot any Englishman. I never even saw one till till I came up here, and I suppose most of them never saw a German either. So I'm sure they don't really want this. And someone goes like, "Well, it must be doing somebody good," and someone else goes maybe i think the kaiser wanted war because and someone else goes no the kaiser doesn't want war he's got everything he needs why would he want a war and someone and then was just like yeah but he's never had a world war before so every emperor needs a war that oh, makes yes, him famous yes, yes, and right. generals and manufacturers they all love war because it gets them rich and he goes um it feels like a fever nobody wants it but it comes along anyway which i thought was a really fucking good yeah I thought it was just summary really good i thought it was really really good uh, yeah, it goes, we didn't want it, the English don't want it, and yet here we are fighting. I just, um, yeah, it's quite, as I say, just explicitly anti-war. Um, doesn't, not, I think every film showing World War One before this was almost basically glorifying it. It was the Grand War, you know, um, heroics of soldiers and and all that, and this doesn't do that at all it's even sometimes i think a bit difficult to point out the individual characters it took me most of the film to kind of get my eye in for some of them because it's not really about the individual it's more about this mass of just boys that are in this war they're just like like, i mean you know jumping to the end you know they they keep getting younger and younger and younger you know the yeah the kids they have to you know because they're running because they're because they're running low on numbers and that's all they end up being is just numbers like just at the kids. very end, yeah, they said yeah. there was like, I don't know what what number do they say? There was like 150 of us earlier. Now there's 80, but by tomorrow there'll be 150 of us again. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because the chef a, moans that he's prepared for 150, and there's only 80 of them or something. And what's the line? There's a line basically. They're just here just to get killed. Like I, don't know, I can't remember what the actual line is, but they're they're just there, just waiting to be killed. That's it, basically. There's um. At the end of the film, I know we keep talking about the end, but um, uh, the I don't want to talk about exactly what happens because I think we should talk about the end more explicitly. Yeah. But the attitude of the medics at the end of the film, I think, is absolutely like, like, like heart wrenching. Like they have seen hundreds and thousands of people die. It means nothing to them anymore. Like it just, there is no emotion in watching someone die. They, it doesn't matter anymore to the medics. Do you mean the scene where seen... they meet the one guy who I think is actually quite well, but he's kind of managed to blag his way to stay in the hospital? No, I literally mean the right at the end where his mentor dies and he takes him to the medical tent and he's screaming at them to do something. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. And they're just like, no, no, he's gone. Like, and they, they just go, do you want his papers? You know, like, it doesn't matter. Like, like... And they just casually have a conversation at the side about, like, I guess we have to send this off somewhere, you know, like, send this, send his paper off somewhere, it will get dealt with. It just becomes, like, this machine of death, really, of them just having to catalogue this stuff. I think that And there's just no emotion who, in them. That actor who plays, like, his mentor, you know, he died, like, the year after this film came out. Yeah, I... I really wanted to talk about him. Um, like, uh, Louis Wilhelm... Uh, 
I thought he was fucking great in this film. He's going to be in my ballot for like best supporting actor. I mean, what I thought a he... face as well, though. Like, you know. what a face? Because if you hadn't seen it, he looks like if you got someone to draw a mobster in a Batman. In, in co- Dick a Tracy, he looks like yeah, in Dick Tracy, Tracy, yeah, huge brow ridge, like blockhead, yeah. like the nose is absolutely flat, uh, big ears, kind of big hands, big features, like. Um, just looks like an absolute an atypical 30s like mobster. Um, but yeah, he died in 1931 of stomach cancer. They, at the time, he was losing a ton of weight for a role, and they, they put his cause of death down to like weight loss. Or something, weight loss. You know, like, um, and it, later on, people re-diagnosed it that actually he was losing a ton of weight because he had stomach cancer. <laughs> like, I guess as well, a lot of these actors as well, especially probably the older ones, they probably cut their teeth in you know, silent acting, you know, so they, this is probably like, cause these are some of the early, you know, as you said, talkies. So I'm guessing like, I think this, this guy definitely was in the silent era, wasn't he? Yeah. What's really interesting. That's why I thought he was, it's a really interesting story that he has. Like, and one thing I was quite conscious of, of the older actors would have maybe served in world war one as well, which I think is a mm. crazy thing to, to be doing a film about the younger actors, not, but but Louis Wilhelm did serve in World War One, but he never actually saw any action. Uh, he was in Kentucky on a, a training uh, when hostilities ended. So, um, because actually he was a tra- he's a trained engineer of mathematics teacher. He was lecturing at Cornell on mathematics and engineering when basically someone saw him and went, "Oh my God, you look like a mobster bee in my film." <laughs> like, so this guy's a really fucking smart guy, like really, really incredibly smart guy. Um, he really wanted to play romantic leads. He got fed up of doing heavies, basically, and doing toughs. So um, he saved up a ton of money to get plastic surgery done on his nose. His nose got broken twice in one year or something, I think the story is. And uh, the executives at United Artists, they obtained a restraining order against him getting his nose fixed <laughs> to stop him like getting that look out of him because they were like, no, you're a fucking mobster. You do not get, fix that nose. Which is insane that the studio could have that much power over someone, because <laughs> they were on contract. You know, they were absolutely like this. This is the time when you're at contract. You're a contracted person in these studios. They own you. You know, they own your image, your look, and everything. I guess um, that was his USP, though, wasn't it? And they were like, you cannot, yeah, you cannot get rid of that. <laughs> so, um, when he got, I was going to say, when he got employed as an actor, he was he he was called the Fighting Jew. Is that's why his um autobiography is called when when he was discovered he was in mexico selling raincoats and rubber boots to like revolutionaries in mexico (laughs) (laughs) like what a life like um and basically some an american mercenary like saw him and that's how he kind of got his start in the business um but he was noted basically he was a huge drinker and fighter so he used to go in these mexican cantinas and take on everybody <laughs> you know like you could punch anyone in the world <laughs> like and it says here like uh uh so he was he beat up a mexican officer and they threw him in prison and and this other mercenary paid for his release and when her, and um yeah paid for his release and kind of got him out of mexico so when he died in um in 1925 well kind of then was one of his pallbearers and turned up at this guy's funeral to carry his coffin and stuff and apparently Warholm was he was a really caring loving individual and um and he also had a really good scream i heard <laughs> yeah. 
Good, 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 good. And uh, um, because he did tons of charity work, and then when he died, they instead of using all the money on on like f- f- uh, flowers at the funeral, they put up a huge collection and gave like fed the hungry in his name, basically, because oh, wow. he said that's what he would have liked. I just I read about this guy. I just saw him in this movie and was like, he's got the most interesting look of any man I've ever seen. And then researching, I was like, this guy's fascinating. Like, what a life this guy has led. Like, professor of mathematics fighting revolutionaries in Mexico, um, trying to have plastic surgery because he wants to be like an attracting leading man, and they couldn't let they wouldn't let him. Like, but, uh, just think it's amazing. Like this may be getting too far advanced. Too too far into the to the film, whatever. But the one thing that I really appreciate about this film, yeah, they're all it's it's kind of like that old thirties, old timey acting, which I think once you kind of get into the rhythm of the film, you kind of just get into the way they kind of perform. Anyway, I think it was a lot more naturalistic than a lot of yeah. acting I've seen. But I think what I loved about this film, spoilers, I loved this film. But what I loved about this film was. <laughs> The character progressions, like, you know, the young boy yeah. at the beginning of the film. By the end of it, you genuinely feel like Paul is like a hardened by war yeah. young man. And, He's a completely different guy. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, the Louis, Louis, what's it? What's Louis Warden's character? St- 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 uh, I think they keep calling Stanislas. him Kit, don't they? Yeah, but anyway, his character. Yeah, the cat. They call him Cat. cat. That's it. But like... You know, when you first meet him, he's kind of, you know, quite arsy to the younger kids. But he kind of reminds me of the teachers I used to have when I was school, and you kind of have to learn <laughs> your respect for him. But, you know, yeah, how he sure. kind of opens up to them and kind of becomes kind of like, kind of looks after them and feeds them, and just how he, you know, he's you can tell he's got a big heart, this guy. Yeah. And he's like the total that, opposite. The cat of character the, is so good. And he's the total opposite of the postman who then becomes like the sergeant general. Who like oh, when you first meet him, yeah, he seems good, really yeah. nice and kind of. And yeah. then when you meet him later on, he's like a complete wet lettuce, like you know, because he thinks he's yeah. all right and he just he's obsessed with just people. But you know, and I love the juxtaposition between those two characters. And um, also that general when he's drunk, he may be my favourite drunk actor. <laughs> when he's like strolling <laughs> around, laughing at himself. I am. Um... I th- I think the character of Cat is the only thing in this film film that veers towards glorification. I don't think they actually do glorify it through through him, but I think another script, another actor, another director could have actually glorified that character. And I think you see it in loads of war films of the 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 veteran that's so it not well not veteran because they're still fighting but so embodied in the war that it's their life they're comfortable you can't imagine them in any other place and I think sometimes those characters let us imagine that that would be us in those situations um, because you kind of like to imagine that you would you know you'd you'd adapt because you're a strong person or whatever and I think a lot of people do do that kind of kind of um, placing when they watch war films we don't like to think of ourselves as the the person who shat themselves or the person who just gets shot as soon as they get there or the person who like has a freak out because the bombs have been going on for like a hundred days i like the foreshadowing though like the reason why he ends up like he does at the end of the film is because he's the one who tells them how to react with certain bombs so when a certain bomb does fall at the end he's the one who jumps and like fucks up his knee and that's kind yeah. of like his, you know, that's, you know, that's 
what did him and he and kind of and uh, I, just, I, I just thought that was and funny. he's you know he's he, and he's out there kind of great um gathering food oh yeah that scene I love he that, shouldn't though. have how to do how he steals that the pigs though with, <laughs> I thought that was great. with the pig it's fucking like, great honestly it's like a like a little like um slapstick thing yeah it's whereas he's, like he's watching a guy unload pigs but you know if he comes and he, the way from, he sneaks up from under the under the car <laughs> if he comes from silent films and that he may you know that's kind of in his wheelhouse maybe and stuff like that yeah he knows how to yeah knows how to do that he just looks so happy with himself the way he got his pig and then he does the little like Ruh. Like the kind, of, <laughs> the kind of noise that they were doing to each other, and they just do it back to each other, and he walks off with his nice pig. But if we go to the very but I think first, first shot of the film, and it's like a con- I've forgotten the two characters are having a conversation, but it's behind a, they're in front of a door, and I thought, oh, is this just going to be it? Like, is there just going to be people <laughs> in rooms with just boring <laughs> wide shots, just of just people talking? Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the door opens, and you just see into the sit the the street. And I thought, oh, hang on, this is it's got something a bit more to it. And then the camera starts like yeah dollying forward, and then you get like a loads of shots of like the crowd of all the soldiers like you know kind of you know be, you know all the women and that and everyone's kind of like you know you know like how soldiers like you say they're glorified or whatever because you know they're the heroes and stuff and then yeah it's and like, it's the proper like thing you always hear about world war one is that like there was such a sense of celebration and carnival yeah. over the idea that we're going to war and that's what they depict at this you know it's all the street marches and ticker parades and girls running up and kissing them all and throwing flowers on them and stuff like that it's all like hugely celebratory like that people are saying like the post like you talk about the post when he's like very happy about he's i'm off to war tomorrow kind of thing like they're he's all very happy war, about is he's just going to train basically and that's it yeah yeah he's but um the, the... my second note by the way my first note on this my my little note for this says really great mustaches <laughs> <laughs> but like there's so many great like door and window shots in this and like you know I think one of the early shots is it pans out from a window, doesn't it? And then into that kind of classroom where they're Yeah, it, doing... it's really cool. It kind of pulls away from the crowd and then it kind yeah. of passes through a window and then you see the crowd are outside. Yeah. Um. Still, it's a really nice little movement until you start seeing the... Who I think really is the only villain in this film. Oh, yeah, because you, you know he does this, you know, you, you're only be at, you know, this war will be ended by the end of the year. He knows that's bullshit. Yeah. He's just saying that to yeah. every single group of kids that keep coming in here. And he's going to, yeah. There's a shot of him, like, because he's basically this teacher. He's got, he's got a school class of kids. And he's basically lecturing to them. He's yelling at them about the fact, like, I heard some kids from another town. They all refused to do work and they marched down and signed and signed up, uh, like, out of protest for supporting the, their country and their fatherland. He says fatherland a lot, actually. And um, then he talks about how, like, you need to kind of, you need to go to war. You need to volunteer. You, this, you, you'll make yourself a man and, and look after your country. It's real kind of patriotic bullshit, Um really the kind of evil thing about 
really evil talking kids into going to war is is the most evil thing you mm. can do as a like really fucking is um and when they when he's kind of managed to kind of like groom them all basically into signing up for this war they're all standing on their desks and like singing like a patriotic song and stuff like that and they've all decided basically to get peer pressured into it the most popular kid in school said he's going to do it and everyone else starts saying they want to do it as well uh, it cuts to like the teacher with this kind of canted angle, shot just from below him. Yeah, like um, six, prop- Batman sixty six villain shot. Yeah, it really is, and it's got the really harsh shadows on him, and he's properly there in this kind of like, like creepy little kind of like, like look to it, and that was the moment of my me going, oh, this film's fucking good <laughs> like this film knows what it's doing like it's not just it's not pacifism it's not like anti-war as a as a gimmick like this this is a really is strongly about how evil war is and the people that sign you up to it and stuff like it really quite cool yeah i think after that then it goes to like the boot camp doesn't it where they're like they're training and uh, you kind of get it's to a- see get to see like the main like the five or six of them the five of them isn't it that you kind of follow throughout the film and they all kind of then eventually all start getting picked off one by one don't they yeah i had trouble knowing who the lead was yeah it took me a while Um, to to even know their names to be honest i think paul's the only one no same um but it does kind of just basically equals out to the fact that you're still you're following paul paul kind of becomes the lead because the others don't make it really um, yeah, he, almost just, like any one of them could have been the lead. Well, he's just one of the numbers, or one of the just one of mm. them, isn't it? Like they don't particularly, like you said, they don't single one out as being. You know, this is who we're following. We're just following who no. happens to survive. I did. I had. I did struggle knowing how young they were meant to be when I first saw them as well, because they do look like thirty-three years old, and I don't know. If, like that must just be like a nineteen-thirty styling thing. The kids at the end of the film look much younger than um, oh, the yeah. kind of kids. They the look beginning. like teenagers. The ones at the back. yeah, but uh, yeah, as you say, they go. It's the, our leads like Paul Baumer, and um, he's played by Lou Ayres, uh, who ends up being like uh, he's like I was remember seeing that and going, that is a name that I've heard a thousand times. <laughs> like, I think he's in a lot of eighties TV shows we would have watched as a kid. Yeah, eighties ones, you know, like. I when know. I looked him up, that's that's mainly what I saw. He did a lot of kind of like Columbo and stuff like that. Kung Fu, so I, I think, think that's probably. But so I should say, uh, all the whole film is in English. Uh, they're all American actors. They're not very American. That. They're not... <laughs> yeah, they're not putting on German accents or anything else like that. They're not speaking German. Um, they're just saying they're German, basically, which is an interesting choice. There's never a foreign person in this there they, are but they don't you talk you do hear french they do speak french in it. oh yeah 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 you do hear french yeah you don't like i just the english don't talk is what i'm thinking the english yeah. aren't really so there's no like break in like accents and stuff like that does the but... guy he stabs does he sort of talk at all or not no he doesn't no i think he's meant to die really quickly and he just lies there alive like looking like he's alive forever so like, he's we'll almost like that. haunting him is that what you're trying to say yeah yeah, oh, okay. and it takes a while it, to anyway. realize he's dead. And um, yeah, the training—it it just started feeling so like all the depiction of this just feels futile because the training was literally just getting them to lie in mud. Mud, yeah. Like, 
That's what you're going to do. You're going out there and if you hear gunfire, you lie in mud. If you hear a shell coming, you lie in mud. Like well, there's nothing else you can do. There's well, no, the there's guy, no skills. Well, that's the thing that the guy who was training them had not been in combat. He, you know, somehow no. he became a general, sergeant general, or whatever. But he'd never been in combat because when you see him in combat, he just he just freaks out and then just legs it and then just dies. Yeah, you know, and you can't like you literally cannot train for this stuff. The the okay. the machine guns, they weren't new to this war, but it. Um, quite interesting history of machine guns i could go into but i won't <laughs> but um like they just become the the spirit of this war basically they become the the noise of this thing that there's it's possible for a man just to sit miles from you just pressing a button on a machine and mowing down hundreds of people and you can't stop them you can't there's nothing you can do about that you know you just have to hide from it and that's just how this trench warfare begins you know yeah um, but as soon as as soon as they get shipped off from training, they get hit by mortar. You know, like it just went off the train. That train shot's really interesting. Well, it's that clearly shot composite. for me is one of my favourite shots I've ever seen in cinema. Where you're just looking through this giant window. Yeah. You see the trains coming in. You see the hill that goes up with the buildings either side of it. And I just thought it looked so. It just looks fantastic that shot. Yeah. And they keep cutting back to it every now and again, but the but the town or whatever just gets more and more. Destroyed. destroyed. It's it yeah, it's so cool. Um, yeah, that's yeah. They get there and they get hit by a mortar. Someone instantly gets injured and they get told them to leave them. Like it's just like the harsh reality of war hit them as soon as they got there. Like it didn't take it didn't take one second. There wasn't any kind of there wasn't any kind of breathing room for them. Do they actually um, say they never specifically say where they are? Do they when they're fighting? If I'm correct. no. They, I there's a bit France of the or... there's a bit at the end of the end of the movie where the the old people are talking about areas and one of them mentions a town that presumably that's where they're meant to be and I can't remember where okay. it is, um, Saint something. Uh, but yeah, like they fucking get there and they they're all like instantly they're like oh let's get some food and the and they're like. There's no fucking canteen here. Yeah, it's like, like what time's <laughs> dinner? <laughs> like it's yeah. like you know, it's, you're not at the boot camp anymore. This is yeah. And uh, they, you know, they they introduced to this they, the guy they all rely on to feed them is this guy called Cat, like um, who you know we just talked about, and he has a great fucking look, um, a great line when he starts because he sees them and goes, one day I'm going to take one of you boys apart and find out what makes you leave school to join the army. <laughs> Like he's even pretending as soon as you get there. It's like, um, and he does this great thing. Like he basically bribes them for food. You know, they try and pay him money, and he's like, "No, I want fucking cigarettes." Well, it's like, like being cigars, in prison, like, isn't it? Basically, yeah. And he's no good here. It's you know, it's what have you got that you can give me? You know. And that the other soldiers are like, "What? We don't ever have to pay you anything." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm fed up feeding you for nothing. From now on, like yeah. you pay me." <laughs> it's one of those that's sitting with him. That ends up joining uh, Paul on that lot later on. You know when they meet the the French girls and stuff. Is he one of those? I think so. Yeah. It was hard to tell, like because they all look very similar <laughs> in their uniform. <laughs> um, I like this bit as well. Like so, it cuts. They're literally just walking. I don't know where they're going. There's a scene when they're walking to the front, presumably, and um, some shells hit and they all dive to the ground. Apart from Cat, who's like as you were saying earlier. He's, he's just um, solidified with it. And one of them saws themselves. And I really like the way Kat 
I thought it was really human in the way that his response to him is like, don't worry, worry, I've seen much more braver people than you do that. And also it's happened to me. Like, I liked how just gut-wrenchingly honest he was being about the fact that it's not... This is the most terrifying situation that men have ever been in, basically. Um, So, of course, it's terrifying and horrible and it's going to get worse kind of thing. There was no like, oh, I'm fine. I can take all this kind of stuff. It's just like, yeah, I've been through it. Like, it's just I just have survived longer. I mean, is it after this scene when they have you have the first big battle sequence, which feels yeah. like the end battle sequence, but it's like I know, it's right? Like half quarter of the way through the film or whatever. It's legitimately impressing. These these scenes are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was. Like I think some of these things would be hard to do now. It's, and... it's incredibly violent as well. I mean, you yeah. don't see blood, but like there's stabbings going on. You see, like, oh, the way they have to put up, they they set up the barbed wire around their trench. And yeah, they're doing it with their bare hands, and their hands are just yeah. So you do see blood, but it's bleeding. And then later on in the battle, you just see hands gripping onto a barbed wire, but with no, with like the rest of the arm missing. It's just the hands just like hanging off the barbed wire. It's it. That was when I saw that. I was like, "This is fucking pre-code. Like, yeah. this is a pre-code movie." Yeah, some English soldier basically is walking over the barbed wire, gets hit by a grenade that one of the Germans throws, and he's just the only thing you see after the smoke clears is two hands gripping this barbed wire. And then, <laughs> it's like, fuck. One of the German lads, he gets like, there's a bomb goes off. He jumps, and I don't know if he's meant to have landed in the barbed wire. Yeah, because yeah. he's like you know, I'm blinded, and he just staggers off, and then just gets shot, basically. You think, yeah, the, the, it's like the first. It's like war happens, and they get shelled, and this guy goes like his eyes get hit by shrapnel or something. So he starts screaming about that he's blind and absolutely got like ear piercing scream, um, and then just kind of wanders off into like no man's land and gets shot, and it's it's so. You're there going, did I know that guy? Is that one of the school kids? Is that a character I know? You know, like, but you can't tell. It just doesn't it doesn't matter. They're just bodies. At I that will point, say you know? this, though. One of the things about black and white films, and, like, probably because it wasn't overly violent. Like, it is violent, but it's not graphic. It's yeah, sometimes it's hard color. to yeah. tell what happened to people or, you know, where they've been mm. shot stuff. But then again, you know, you're at war, so, like, it's meant to be a bit chaotic or whatever. But, like... You know, certain characters are meant to get wounded in the leg and then they end up getting amput- like legs amputated and stuff. But you don't really get a sense of where they've been hit and stuff until they get there. And just the, these battle scenes, uh, uh, there's a longer one, like there's a longer one coming up, but it's just basically continuously panning like left to right. Like some of um, the wide shots with like, like 200 plus extras just running and then you yeah. see all these like bombs like in sequential order just coming close to the camera while these actors are running towards him you're thinking jesus christ i can't imagine that would be signed off nowadays some of the stuff it literally seems like people running across like a a set a field i don't know what they shot but on but like just these bombs going off right close to these people and just like thousands of hundreds of extras just running around and it just feels like it goes on forever these panning shots cutting it cutting basically it pans and it cuts to a machine gunner then pans and cuts to machine gunner pans and cuts to machine gunner like just over and over again that monotony of the the war i don't know if you notice but there's a lot of cuts within shots so like you know there's there'll be frames missing and things like that and i don't know because i think the original version of this film was meant to be about 10 20 minutes longer 
Okay. And I don't know if over the years, until it got properly restored, yeah. it got like cut down because of you know these codes and things like that. And I know they wanted to get it down to ten reels, so maybe you know you could get more showings in a day because you know probably this probably played at the cinema for several years. Do you know what I mean? Back yeah, then. probably. <laughs> and you know sometimes the you know the prints kind of get damaged so they have to cut bits out to kind of fix it yeah because the projectionist would actually manually do it yeah. like in cinemas and so, stuff it wasn't know, so, it wasn't like a centralized thing so in restoring it they probably got the best of all the best bits they could get and so there's probably some bits that are missing and stuff like that mm. and apparently when they filmed the shot the film they had two cameras next to each other rolling at the same time yeah um I was going to say that they actually released this as versions essentially. One that was in English language, and is the other. Yeah, they shot a silent movie. Yeah, yeah. They shot a silent movie. Yeah, and they shot uh, Talkie basically at the same time. So you can actually watch this. That is actually available. It does exist. The silent movie version of this. Yeah. Um, Which I've been told. I read. I read a bit. I haven't watched it. That it plays pretty much the same um, because it's not a dialogue-heavy film, really. But that's, so it's that's quite interesting that, that it's weird that that was that's that was something that was happening you know like it was weird that there were clearly audiences or at least they were concerned about audiences well, that prefer silent movies it's it's kind of no different to like no well, it's a bit different but like you know how you get a game now that's on playstation 5 but then they'll do a version for the playstation 4 for people who've got you know it's kind of like <laughs> you know there may be cinemas that could only play they couldn't, you know, they didn't have sound systems or things yeah, like that, so they could I only bet. play. Foreign so, territories yeah. as well, probably. Yeah. It's a bit like releasing a film in 3D and 2D, and you can go see which one you want to go see, really. Yeah, basically. Um, it's fascinating, though, really, isn't it? And I wonder if talking... I didn't Google this, but I wonder if talkies were seen as, like, uh, maybe a gimmick by some people. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, the... to be honest. Like, of course, you know... course where were we in the film yeah i just i think the best and they introduced us to the bunker set which i think the bunker set is wonderful like it's clearly on a rig so again is that where the guy freaks out and um yeah 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 so they've got this whole bunker set that seems to be like set up on a rig itself so whenever shells go off they shake the bunker um but it's really they don't do star trek style it does feel like a little Star Trekky, but it's really active when things like soil comes in through the door, um, beams drop and stuff like mm. that. It's a very, really active set. It's a really kind of physical thing. It feels like somewhere, you know, it feels like I can feel it. I can see it in a in a movie lot. I can see like what it would look like with the pulled out cameras and stuff. I really, really liked that that set. I thought it was really good. Um, and they spend a lot of time in there talking about how fucking awful <laughs> like uh, like um, being at war is basically rats everywhere is a big thing they keep coming back to um, and guys well, just freaking out isn't the rat nibbling, nibbling at their bread the only like food they've got in there yeah and he tears it off and throws it away <laughs> and one of the one of the people goes honestly a few days you'll be glad for some rat bit and bread and which is nice <laughs> i just can't yeah i have to I have to just keep saying how impressive i found the sets and the set pieces um the whole thing the, the thing that happens now the huge thing where they go out the the, the they hear the gunfire and the mortars stop 
which means that the British are coming. And they, so the English do a charge at their trench. Uh, they fight them all off, you know, throw grenades at them, machine gun them down and stuff like that. And then when that they kind of have stopped that advance, because they jump in the trench and they use, they're, they're stabbing each other with bayonets and bayonets whacking and people with end of guns and stuff. And then when they beat back that defence, they then have to go over the top and go back to the British trenches and loads of them die, loads of them, it gets really confusing and and they basically get there, they they kill the British um, and the the general basically just said, told them to go back to their trench because there's nothing they can do here, there's no reason for them to, you know, they can't hold this position. So they end up going back to their trench. Is that so it's just they... this completely pointless action forth, that's been going yeah. on. Is that is that when he drinks that beer and he like just smashes the top off? Yeah, because he can't open it. I can't believe none of them cut their lips on that. I would I was cut thinking. my whole mouth open. <laughs> I was thinking of Mister Miyagi. Doesn't he like? Doesn't he chop a bottle off with his hand? Does he? Yeah, I'm sure he does that in Karate Kid. <laughs> um, yeah, and that we've already talked about that. They, after that, they go back to the. They get leave. They go back to food. Um, and they all debate about like why are we actually doing this? Why are I we do at like war? That who chef, wants us though, to be at war? Because basically they've got enough ration food for 150 soldiers, but only 80 are there because the rest have died. So they're like, well, we want double the amount of food then. And he's like, no, I can't give you that because you know there's not 180 of you, 50 of you or whatever. But then, to be fair, in all fairness, the guy, the uh, the postman guy, he does he does get them the full rations though. Yeah. And get some double double the amount of cigarettes. Yeah, and beans very and important. Sausages. Very important for thirties people. <laughs> had the one already had his leg amputated at this point? The one who had the nice boots. That you, that no, you see at the beginning. that I think that's no. I think that's just coming up now. Exactly. Um, because um, there's a bit I really liked this bit actually because you basically the war goes on. Really is the best way to put it. The they. And the boys basically just relax into the fact that they live here now, you know, and they um they kind of relax into being people who live underground <laughs> in this war zone, and they get used to the day by day kind of flow of it. They they get more and more kind of null to the kind of trauma of it all, and it keeps going, showing you kind of just war occurring basically around them. But there's another charge, and I, I thought this was a great pacifist statement as well. They show a church being bombed, which I never see in movies. Like, I never see them showing war. Yeah. That's a war crime, you know, bombing a church. Like, um, And I never see that presented in movies. Especially don't see, because this would be the English bombing the church. You definitely don't see the English committing war crimes yeah. in movies. Like, and I, I really appreciate that because that's that's absolutely what was happening. You know, that was the absolute truth. Is um, that the same sequence where Paul, where Paul, I think, there's a, a really interesting shot where there's like a a casket that's kind of been hollowed out, like obviously because it's been shelled and bombed, and it's almost framed like Paul's inside the casket. Yeah, and it's such a great shot, and like you know, spoilers, it's foreshadowing, I guess of. You know yeah. where it's going to go for Paul. Eventually, he's going to die at war. Um, and I just thought that shot was fantastic. Like, there's a funny bit that I laughed at here because there's a falling masonry of the church, 
and it hits a guy in the face and it clearly is just like foam because <laughs> uh, he just kind of bounces off him and he takes ages to fall to the floor <laughs> to be hit by it. It's like, a lot of... That was masonry. You wouldn't be standing around like wondering if you need to fall to the floor yet. <laughs> There's a lots of cinematic like uh, things like that where, you know, people are clearly not shot or, you know, they're nowhere near yeah. the thing. It's like you know, in The Dark Knight when... Uh, one of the mobsters gets run over by the bus at the beginning. He's nowhere. Oh near, yeah. He's nowhere near that bus, and he still goes flying a million miles backwards. That's <laughs> ridiculous. And um, I seem to like. Yeah. So there's another. This is the open sequence where we talked about before. So they go over the top, and Paul gets trapped in like a mortar shell crater. Uh, he's seeing people like jump over him, English troops. And I think what's really cool about the English and German troops, you can only tell them apart from the helmets. They look like exactly the same. Well, I think uh, the, the English ones are a bit paler, the costume suits, I think. Yeah, possibly. And, it's, and, uh, and halfway through the film, I think the German suits change because they stop wearing those hats, the spiky hats. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what the reason of that was. I don't know if you know that's. Uh... Well, I, all I know about the kind of the progression of World War One is that basically everyone went to war dressed in their almost like Napoleonic era kind of right. costumes. By the end like, of it, they because, looked like World War Two. And by the end of it, soldiers. they were became modern. Yeah. Like, so, like, if you see pictures, like, especially the French troops going to war, they're in like all these blues and like big hats and stuff like that. They they look like from another era because that's just what the uniforms looked like and you spend like a week in the trenches and realizing you do not want to have a big hat and look blue in these trenches because like the you're getting fucking in, shot like i pitched them as like the postman in lolo like that <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> so i think the pointed hats is a similar sort of thing Go i don't know because but i think it's a similar sort of thing that they just ended up modernizing so quickly during the war i didn't know if the people's... point was meant to do something like help with something or i don't know i don't know if it was like yeah, i don't think it was practical they just I ran around just... stabbing people with the <laughs> like fucking bullet man yeah. <laughs> but yeah he's trapped in a bunker and an english guy ends up jumping in the butler the butler the butler <laughs> an english guy jumps in the uh like mortar crater with him and paul attacks this english guy and stabs him and then he's just trapped in the in the in the kind of mortar crater with a dead guy <laughs> and um paul just starts freaking out basically like um he starts apologizing to him starts trying to help him like drink water um he ends up finding his uh passport and id i don't know why they all had papers on them well, like the that but day, he had, like... paul didn't kill him he would have killed paul anyway so it's yeah, but it's it's the first instance that he has during the film oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of him actually seeing the enemy up close and having to deal with the aftermath. I think normally when someone dies there, they're just dead. But he had to sit there with him. Well, there's definitely the he... scene when they're like shelling, like when they've got those machine guns and they're just shelling the English. There's definitely a yeah. scene where they're like, oh my, what the fuck is going on here? This is insane. Like, you this know, is I, insane. I was at school yeah. a couple of weeks ago and now I'm mowing down people on a field. It's crazy. But yeah, this is the first time it's like more personable. It's like. Yeah, and he makes the mistake at looking at the guy's paper. He finds the guy's name. He sees pictures of the, presumably the guy's wife and daughter. Uh, so it just all kind of gets really brings it to the front that he's just killed like 
a living person like um an actual breathing living person you know not just like a not just like a nameless person so he starts begging the guy for forgiveness basically like um and promises that he's going to write to his family i don't know what you fucking write to the family hi (laughs) killed you i don't know how you start that letter but um and just that reality of just the man's life and not just like an enemy just sets in for paul and he just has like a breakdown and it's what i just thought was the most bleakness of it is as soon as it it goes to night and he just crawls out the that crater and that's it moves on he's got there's no there's nothing tying that up that was just the end of that like there's he just crawls back to his bunker and it's the next day they're bombing again like it's just and it shows it that that just stark bleakness of it i think was really a, a brave choice if i'm honest mm-hmm. in the way yeah, they did definitely, that definitely. then it does get a bit lighter though because then you meet the french girls Oh yeah, they just want them for their bread and their sausages. Yeah, I loved it. They wanted bread and sausage from them, and like they were ignoring that because they're all swimming in this river and they're yelling at these French girls on the other side of the river, and the French girls are just trying to get away from them until the I don't know the character's name is it Trajan or something? Trajan, I think. Uh, he he gets like a loaf of bread and some sausage and he's just waving at them saying we've got food and that the girls are instantly like okay yeah you're fantastic you can come over (laughs) um but i find it quite funny because they go to swim over to talk to them and there's an english troop on the bridge that yells at them to get back to their own side yeah (laughs) like um so they um they basically decide to they're going to sneak off at night and hang out with the girls um it's a good scene. I, I like the fact they got Cat to get Trajan drunk because That's there was only three scene, girls yeah. and four boys. <laughs> like, so they had to another, one of them another instance of good drunken acting in the film. Yeah. Um, but I, like, they don't really—they can't really speak to them. They speak different languages. It's quite obvious they're playing up on that. But um, it's Paul's kind of—you know—they they basically spend the night with these girls. Um, are quite. They're quite. It's, it doesn't show you them having sex, but they're quite open about the fact that's what's going on. Oh yeah, I don't. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, they the don't scene, hide it. It's the scene before that where they're in the like the bar or whatever, and they're drinking beer, and they're looking at a poster of like a young yes. girl. Is that before? Yeah. And it's. I love how it's framed in the mirror as well. So you yeah. can see the poster yeah. at the same time, and then, and um, yeah, I just I really like that little interaction. Because they're talking about the girl on the post and they're imagining who she would be. And she's um, like, oh, one of them comes, but she's she likes a guy like this, and they just tear the poster in half. So it's just the girl. Yeah, he goes. He's she's already taken. Look, she's happy with him, and so they just tear him off the poster and go. See, now she's fine. And then, <laughs> like, how old it's... is she? And he goes, I reckon she's twenty-three. That's a bit old. <laughs> That's older <laughs> than us. Oh, she's seventeen then. <laughs> she's seventeen. Yeah. Like... It's, it's a really good scene. And like the guy comes over and goes, eh, I like them to have a bit more meat on them. And then you've ruined it now. Yeah. <laughs> you've ruined my fantasy. You've ruined my fantasy. Uh, that's when... Um, so basically, Paul gets injured at this point. Um, how does it How does it happen? I can't remember how it happens, but Paul ends up getting injured and gets taken to like this Catholic hospital um, with... The only other boy from school left, which I think is 
Albert. Albert, yeah, yeah. And he gets his like. Well, because basically, I think when they're in that hospital, if you're taken away to get your wounds treated to, it's kind of essentially saying, you know, you're dead, you're done for. We need to free up these beds for someone who yeah who needs it because you know. Um, their military hospitals, gangrene and stuff like that, is just rife in them. So the idea of like bandage changing and stuff like that was just you're going to die from infection if if they can't stabilize you yeah. very quickly. Um, so um, this mad guy who um in their bed next to them tells them this. So when Paul gets taken to the bandage room, he's like apoplectic and crying that he's not going to die. You know, this is not the last of me, kind of thing. Um, it's quite funny because he gets wheeled away and then we focus on Croup who realises he's got his leg chopped off he's got amputated and he starts screaming about not wanting to live the rest of his life like as a cripple I think is the word he uses and um, and then and then Paul comes back in and I think it's meant to have been <laughs> like a few days but it feels like it feels like an hour or even like 15 minutes that he was in the bandage room <laughs> He feels like no time at all has yeah, passed. And he's like, time, yeah, that scene is not, it's not the best. And he's like so triumphant. Well, no, it does like have a great, in... it does have a great shot though, where it kind of, you're in the room with all the, the with the, all the patients. It zooms towards a window again, and you've kind of got a statue of yeah. uh, Mary, I think maybe. Yeah, probably. And then you see the passive time because it goes from night to day, and then it pulls back again. Yeah. So you do see a bit of passage of time. You do see a bit. It's just, I was I was little things like that in this film. I was just I was, and it might sound really dumb of me. I was really really quite blown away by it, like how mature the filmmaking felt. Um, I don't know. It's my own prejudice for like not understanding thirties films. I guess like that. I was really impressed. By... They use all this inventive camera work that was probably used on like you know you know Harold Lloyd films and Charlie Chaplin films, yeah. and then they use it to a more uh, air quote grown up. Uh, sure kind of film I guess and like yeah because you've had all the we'll talk about the 20s you've got the invention of mon- like um, uh, all the invention of different kind of storytelling elements and, and like Battleship Potemkin and the, <laughs> like and stuff like that has, has come in at this point so it's not like it's not like these tools are new to them because they're like 10 20 years old you know like they're established it's established medium at this point, but just to me, to my dumb brain, it feels like this is the infancy of cinema because they haven't even heard of Tom Cruise yet. Like, <laughs> oh, they're in for a and, um, But it's not. It's really. It's it's really competent and good. Well, I like, think, unlike say like video games and stuff like that, cinema kind of found its feet in, from what I gather, a lot quicker than say right. And I don't know if that's due to technology and stuff, but um, but like cinema seemed to know what it was a lot earlier. I don't know. What do you think? I don't mm. know. That sounds good. That sounds yeah. right to me. You also had a lot of different people playing with it. It was, it was like, you know, we try and have a broad canvas here. We try not to just cover Hollywood, though. Hollywood's yeah, yeah. obviously our, our most obviously covered. But... Although our most popular ever podcast is on the man in the white suit bizarrely (laughs) but um, because of that you have all these different forms of language coming into it you have like the way germans films are shot the way french films Mm -hmm. are shot who you know 
arguably the French invented cinema. Like um, yeah. you have you have like the way Russian films are shot and the inventiveness coming from out of Russia. You have the inventiveness in British films and you have the inventiveness coming out of like Hollywood and then into Asia, you know, like Japan and Bollywood. has its own huge history of like a film language and stuff. And I think the fact all that was happening at the same time, it wasn't like only happening in Hollywood. It was hap- like it because it started in like France and spread out everywhere. You just got these incredible amount of really inventive people really thinking about how they're going to tell these stories and how they're going to display stuff to you and i think it ends up really producing like as you say they get to know what it is really quickly they get to grips with what how to tell stories really quickly and it's not so it's not like they they were making sprite games for years yeah, yeah. as you say to link it to video games they were they had like all the tools basically almost yeah, yeah. instantly yeah, it's like this even just like it's not it is filmmaking like obviously we're not in the area of the auteur here at all um but like the idea of how you build a set how you show a fake set how you light a set how how many coats of paint do you need on a set to make it look like it's a real place you know how what how much grain is the the, the um, camera picking up what makes something look fake what makes look something like look real uh what how do you shoot in a outside how do you shoot inside and stuff mm-hmm. like that all those things are like uh, uh filmmaking you know the stuff that maybe we don't even think about so much anymore but this time were super important it feels to, like, to me i don't know about you but it feels like if it's outside in this film they actually shot it outside i could be wrong but i don't get yeah the sense, i think so yeah i don't i didn't get the sense of you know a lot of those 50s like westerns where you know they're sitting by a campfire and stuff, but you know they're in a soundstage. <laughs> yeah, they're on a soundstage. Yeah, and the bunker scene to me was very much on a rig. Oh yeah, that's that definitely a soundstage. I don't think they um, actually dug a real bunker for them to. No, but yeah, I think most of this felt like it was outside. I know it was all shot in California, like obviously. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's they're using all those different tricks and all the people working on films. It's not just the director and actors. All those people in the crew. You've got people who are doing, who've been doing like set building, carpentry, lighting, um, art, you know, art departments, costuming for years. They were at this point, they were they were experts, you know, in their field. It's it's really cool. It's it, it, I know it's a, I think it's a dumb take. It surprised me how obvious that was that well, they're really competent. Like. I also felt the costumes felt, you know, more lived in. You know, normally you yeah. watch some of these films and everything looks like it's straight off the rack straight away or mm-hmm. i mean maybe more so in the 40s and 50s it feels a bit more uh i don't know lack of a better word fake yeah but like you know you actually see characters in here covered in mud and you know yeah like even the the poster itself like you know i assume it's paul like but he's kind of like just like a a weary kind of soldier and i thought i'm not sure who that is on the yeah, poster yeah. i keep thinking it's the english guy that's in the bunker but i don't think so but anyway it must be paul it just looks like they've done loads of art to him <laughs> but yeah i mean weirdly enough they could be they probably were wearing actual uniforms yeah from they could World be, War yeah, One. Yeah. Right. well i mean you know it, most of those world war Two films existed purely for the fact they got so many so many like yeah pieces of equipment still you know they could use so they just thought fuck it let's make a war film 
And like it was, we haven't said this, but it really was. It was a huge film. Like one point two million was the budget, which at the time was like the biggest film ever made, mm-hmm. basically. Um, which is incredible. <laughs> it's just incredible they spent it on this film. And we, should, I mean, we should go back to it because we're getting towards the end. But like, the only he box, basically gets. I was going to say the only box office you can I could I could find was the rentals. So I, I don't know how. Really? Yeah, I don't know how much it brought back. It must have been successful because you know. They really yeah. made it in, what, 79? I don't know. Yeah, they did, yeah. Which I haven't seen. No, I, I was thinking I should watch it for this, but then I just didn't. Didn't. <laughs> didn't have the time. But I, this is, I really, really like this bit of the film because he goes back home. Yeah. Uh, he gets furlough, so he goes back home and you get the impression his mother's been in bed. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> like... just, she's like, uh, you know, the buckets, you know, just staying in bed. Yeah, yeah. Long in for Paul. And but you see that kind of change in the household that the sister's taken on like the more motherly role yeah. because his mother hasn't been able to handle the fact that he's at war. So his sister's there doing all the cooking and cleaning, sorting out Paul's clothes and stuff like that, kind of being the mother almost. Um and I fucking love this scene. So he goes and meets his dad in a bar and his dad's all with his drinking buddies in this bar and um they are completely just stupid about the realities of the war like they have absolutely no clue what they're on about and they're they're they're, they're, there's two things one is they're like they're moaning about like basically rationing back home that they have it's really difficult for them because they haven't got any food here because (laughs) you know uh but he he basically says like but we don't mind that because we know you're being fed properly we can give up all our stuff because you're having all that food and and you're being well fed and he just Paul gives him a look like, like you haven't seen the film. You should watch the film. That we made. Like, <laughs> you, should, you should see. Like watch we haven't had scenes, food. Like. And I really just it. and he talks about it completely differently to how the troops are. So he's like, oh, you know, you got to give the Frenchies a good licking, kind of thing. And and no, none of the troops are talking like that. No one in the field are talking about how fun it is to be beating it's not sport to them you know like that it's been trauma uh they don't think of the enemy and they don't even think of them as enemies they just they're both they're they're both sides are stuck in this dumb thing killing each other it's not like oh yes fantastic we'll kill the french to them this is something that's just being driven at home by the people who have no ideas of the realities of the way the war is and they but they start like backseat quarterbacking the war like they they get a little map out and they start drawing lines in it, going like, "I think you should go through here and onto Paris in the morning," kind of thing. And no, 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 you need to go through here. And and Paul's just sitting there, going, "The fuck is this? Like lunacy? Like what have I come back to? These people are idiots. Like they, these people are they actually think this is fun and winnable? They think this is there's a point to all this kind of thing. You see it all play off in his face. Um, yeah, I I just think it speaks to, like. It's such a good reality of how well, it, I think it, we're like that still. Let's wait. What I'm trying to say. Like, well, it, I think... well, it's kind. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, and <laughs> it just shows that like it's almost like uh, Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Like uh, Frodo. Like once he's gone through this whole mission, Frodo has. <laughs> he's he's no longer that person anymore, and he's completely changed. Which I think was the whole point. Tolkien was kind of trying to get across as well that. Yeah, Tolkien was a World War One vet, yeah. And um, yeah. 
you know, like Paul, Paul is no longer one of these people anymore. He's completely changed by what he's, he's gone through. You know, all of his friends have died and, you know, and you just can't relate to these people anymore. I just thought it's like watching this with like what's going on in like Ukraine and oh, stuff yeah, like that. Oh yeah, I was 100% like, thinking about that. And just the way these people were talking tactics and talking about like the war and stuff like that. It's just reminded me so much about the endless press coverage. And it's not even the so much the press. It's like the 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 internet chatter on the war. Like you you can see people on Reddit and Twitter and stuff like that in the discords that I'm in like talking about like like military tactics like they have a fucking clue what's going on like they they think they know everything that's going on they think they they understand how to win this war or it will be over like if they just do this it'll be over in a week and and like they're seeing these little glimpses of like stuff being on news and stuff like that and thinking they possibly understand the realities of actual warfare and almost celebrating it you know like it's two sides that we have to fight and i'm on this side and stuff like that like when really there is no celebrating war Mm. there's no there's no good can come from this this is people's lives and you haven't got a fucking clue what you're on about sitting in your bar with your map thinking that you understand like troop movements and shit it's well it's like I, yeah, it's really, really got to me, actually. But it's like, look, I, I, obviously it goes without saying, you know, the, the war in Ukraine is, like, completely insane and, like, mm-hmm. should not be going on. But there are, you know, I assume a lot of these Russian soldiers are like these guys, totally kind of not exactly sure why they're there, but they're just doing their job. And I, you, do I you mean, know what I mean? The... It's, it's quite sad for them in a way because they're being lied to or... You know, I mean, today not... was that that kid got uh, he's he's twenty one years old got d- done for war crimes that Russian tank driver, like twenty one years old is I know it's an adult but that's a kid like yeah I mean when that, I look like... back at myself as twenty one we were running around in a flipping nightclub filming zombie films you know what I mean like it's, <laughs> it, it was dumb do you know what I mean kid twenty one year old yeah, yeah. is dumb it's... no it's totally and then like I we shouldn't get into like the hostilities in ukraine and the russian invasion and stuff but like but yeah i just just watching it made me think a lot about war and it's just how at the moment that's everywhere all the press all the media is about war at the moment that's where we are you know yeah yeah and uh to move on like so he leaves the bar because they're idiots and um he even says he even says to them like you know that wouldn't work you don't know what it's like down there and the guy shoots him down going okay you might know the technical details but we understand more of the bigger picture because we get to see more of it and it's like god it made me hate him <laughs> it's just like you fucking arrogant prick like that you think that you understand what's going on and this is all glorious like i was really i was on paul's side a lot there <laughs> uh, but he goes back to the school classroom like the the one proper villain and he sees that professor who's Professor Kantarek, I thought something I think he's called, um, played by Arnold Lucy. He's still doing that patriotic fever. And, you know, he's still doing the same speech that drove Paul and his buddies to sign up in the first place. He's still doing it to now visibly younger kids like than Paul ever was. Um, I don't know. I presume that's because there everyone else is dead who's <laughs> yes. older like um 
but don't they call yeah, him a coward? He, and, don't they call him a coward as well? Yeah, so yeah. he like he goes, Paul, you should tell them how wonderful it is to fight for your country, and he he um he kind of talks about the death of his friends basically, and how that like it's not nothing wonderful about being at war, and both the teacher and all the kids call him a coward for having that opinion, you know, like um and because they've been like they've been at the home front being drilled into the propaganda of all this glorious war they still think of it that way and they they boom out the classroom basically for being a coward he's the one fighting on the it's crazy <laughs> i think he says like um he goes you still think it's beautiful and sweet to die for your country the first bombardment bombardment taught us that it's painful and dirty to die for your country when it comes to dying for your country it's better not to die at all it's easier to say go out and die than it is actually just go and do it which is his little speech they will turn on him uh and i just thought like i mean i don't want to at this point could he could he have left the war at this point though or is he uh i think deserters were killed oh okay (laughs) So well, I, I didn't know if it, it was like you know you do two years or whatever, and then you can. I don't. I no, don't and you were what. in it until you basically died or the Fair war enough. ended. And I think he'd been in for like four years. I think the passage of time is a bit unclear, but he's meant to have been there for about four years now, um, which is about the length of the war. So the war's kind of coming to an end at this point as well. Um, what was it? Which was I it, thought was it, was it 1915 to 1919 or something like that. No, something like something that. Like. I'm gonna get my dates wrong, to be honest. But yeah, something like that. Uh, but like, I, I know that this film and the book were written before the Nazis took any sort of power. The, the Nazis win the first election in like thirty two, thirty three. Mm-hmm. So, um, and war doesn't break out until the forty. So like, this is nothing to do with the Nazis, but. I actually thought the depiction of the kids in the classroom having that patriotic like fervor like in- instilled in them whilst actually not seeing action because they were too young to see action and the war was about to come to an end that that to me spoke to this like this generation of people that were instilled with a patriotic need to fight for their country and how glory it was to do that, but not seeing the action. Yeah, and these so you can kids... see where that mentality came from, you mean? kind of. Yeah, yeah. I, like these kids were in 1940 when the war broke out, would have been, you know, 15 years old or whatever. So maybe around the age of people like, you know, 30, 40 mm-hmm. at that point, around the kind of governing age of what would be like the officer class and like the voting class for like the kind of Nazis and stuff. So I'd know that the filmmaker and the author can't possibly know they were doing this, but I saw that in the, in the depiction of these, these kids really. I thought that was quite interesting really. And maybe they did know something. Maybe there was a feeling in Germany at this point anyway, that this guy was speaking to. Well, like I said, I mean, the director was Russian. I mean, I don't know what, when, if he moved to America or what, but I mean, he obviously died in, uh, California. Yeah. But, um, well, the author. We will talk about the author a little bit. Like, let's let's finish the film. But the author does have a very interesting history with like Germany. Because uh, you know the director Jewish. directed Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, I was going to say that. I forgot to say earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's the only film that I know he did. Um, which is madness that he did this in Ocean's Eleven to me. <laughs> 
but yeah, so it's right at the end there. So Paul basically ends up going back to the front line. Uh, he's he's now like the kind of veteran, and there's a ton of young recruits who are getting disillusioned, and he's kind of he sees his old mate Trajan, you know, like, and they and he goes and finds Cat, who's you know he's um they have a little conversation about how uh they don't understand how people can't understand like the futility of war like how paul felt out of place back at home and stuff like that um and there, and he mentions basically how they're talking about taking paris whilst they're currently outgunned by the allies they're they're outclassed with their technology because it's they make a big point about the planes being used by the allies now that never used to be a thing um and they're completely been out supplied like the allies are getting fed and that no food's making it to the front so they're they're basically sitting there going we have lost this fucking war and back at home everyone thinks we can take paris tomorrow you know um it's insanity kind of thing and at that point there's a bomb drops that that uh breaks cat's shin uh like uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess some shrapnel hits him. It, this it was kind of unclear. Well, it's like I me, said earlier, it's kind of on. unclear when some people get hurt and how they get hurt. But, yeah, um, but like Paul must be pretty strong though, because he fucking puts him fucking over his shoulders, fucking throws him up on his shoulder. Yeah. So yeah, Paul's carrying him back to the hospital only for like a second bombing to happen from a plane, and you see it because you see cat a react. <laughs> you see it close Quite- today. Yeah, they don't actually do it. Do they do a close-up? They just you kind of see a bomb hit and Cat's head just drops, doesn't it? Yeah, no, you see um, they cut to a close-up over the back of his head and you see a bit of blood dripping off the back of his neck. Uh, okay, I missed that. So, um, so Paul, like, um, but Paul doesn't know this. Paul thinks he's just passed out from the pain of the broken shin, so he's carrying back. He's carrying back to the um, to the field hospital. And he says something like, uh, there was something Kat says earlier in the film and they repeat it a lot about like when he's dead, the war will end kind of thing. Like kind of saying how Kat does not exist outside of this war now. This this man's life is this this environment, you know. If Kat's dead, then the war's ending, you know. It can't happen without him kind of thing. So um, he gets, gets him to the field. We spoke about this. He gets him to the field hospital and the medics quite coldly just be like, oh, he's dead, like, here you go, here's the papers, I'll mark him, mark him down. And Paul's like, really distraught, he's like, he's my mentor, like, he's the, like he's my friends, and he's completely crushed, and he's trying to explain to this guy how important this man is, and the, the guy just has no concept. He's just another dead person yeah. that he has to deal with, uh, which is fucking crushing. And you just see Paul's, like, soul leaves his body at that point, you know? Like, that was, that was a, what was kind of keeping him alive almost like his friend cat and uh the last shot which i knew about this i've heard about this last shot before i didn't know it was from this film yeah with the bus but, um, boy. yeah same yeah so so basically he's on the front line he sees a butterfly just land outside of his just outside of his reach so he goes to reach over to kind of like like i don't know touch the butterfly get a nice finger or something like that like but as he's reaching over like enemy sniper uh, sees him and just shoots him um, and you see Paul's hand just fall to the floor and that's the end of the film <laughs> uh, and by the way that hand is the director as well because Paul wasn't available shots so the director just walked in and did the last shot with Paul's <laughs> hand yeah apparently that's not in the book is it no no apparently clear. not 
and it's it's fucking gut-wrenching it's harsh yeah. like the the end sequence as well is like they basically are showing the second company arriving as kids overlaid with the image of like a this like fading out to a cemetery basically and i was like fucking blackadder ripped that off because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it says the end what is there's an image underneath that but i couldn't work out what that was i'm not sure sorry yeah but like yeah I didn't really speak about this but I thought it was quite interesting his relationship with the Nazis actually because this came out in as you say 1930 the book was huge in 1929 and the Nazis come to power around 32, 33 and actually it's um, it's huge (laughs) yeah it becomes one of the first books that the Nazis go after oh really yeah Yeah, and Goebbels especially had a huge problem with it Um, so uh the first so in december the 5th 1930 so it's about 12 years after the war they they're showing this in germany and people are flocking to like the cinemas in germany to see this because why of course you would like uh but during the film 150 nazi brown shirts uh who um should point out most of them wouldn't have fought in world war one <laughs> like uh, they uh, they basically were led by Joseph Goebbels, and it was one of his first um, attempts to shut to silence propaganda and what he saw as propaganda in the country. He saw this as anti-German propaganda because uh. it because he believes war is good, basically. So they burst. They would they would disrupt showings of this film in Germany. They would burst into um, cinemas. They would shout like anti-Semitic like, shit at the film. Like they would call it a Juden film. Um, they would toss stink bombs into the balconies and like they would throw like sneezing powder in the air and stuff like that and release like mice and rats into Why cinemas and things. Why do I picture things. them going to one of those fucking joke shops to go? Know, right? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, and yeah, they would just drive people out of the cinemas who were watching it. They, they, they made it one of their early kind of things. So this is before they were in power. They made it one of those early things to drive people out from watching this. And, and sitting in the cinema so then when it um when they take power uh it becomes one of the first books they uh they go after um he uh basically um so like goebbels um goebbels kind of just tries to create like chaos and terrorize moviegoers um he, he writes in his diary within 10 minutes the cinema was a madhouse you know the the police are powerless the embittened madness masses are violently against the jews like he sees it like as this big success and he would lead like torch wielding people throughout like cities and and cause like riots uh, he, he was very proud in vienna the 1500 police surrounded the theater to try and stop them the the nazis breaking into a theater so it ended with a huge like street fight um and other disturbances like that um i think um the New York Times described it as fairly polite rioting. You could take a girl to see it. It's really weird descriptions though, like the the Western newspaper was so like uh, minimizing the Nazis at all points. Like uh, so that the Universal founder Karl Lem- Lem- Lemley, um, who was a Jewish immigrant from Germany, uh, couldn't understand why the movie was so controversial. So he sent a cable to burning newspapers and ran a, a ran an ad basically to try and tell like to try and say that the film wasn't anti-German and it was portraying universal war experiences and stuff like that. And um, 
it was completely pointless. The Nazi tactics basically worked and, and almost basically shut down, shut down the film in that, uh, in the country almost completely. And, uh, the author, author himself, uh, remark, he basically wouldn't really talk about this. Um, he would stay really quiet about like the kind of uprising against stuff. And he, and later on he would say that he regrets that he should have been louder about what he was seeing happening to his country basically uh he ends up like he ends up basically um leaving the country and and goes to um uh goes to live in switzerland because uh goebbels goes to the author and tells him to release a statement saying that the only reason he'd written it because he'd been swindled by jews and he wanted he wanted the author to uh admit like to pretend that some evil jewish people had had uh had ruined his film and stuff like that and he'd say if you say this we'll protect you kind of thing the nazis will protect you and so he declines that and leaves the country and goes to switzerland well it's nice to know some of these people have got morals and uh <laughs> fucking madness fucking madness like and to see this film as anything idea of like being anti-german when it's clearly just saying war's horrible and i just find it Nazi- bizarre that was too much for the nazis like, they throw what did you say sneezing powder or itching powder. yeah they're throwing like sneeze <laughs> like, i don't know what sneezing powder is that's the description that the, i just the, picture the, um, them as like the press had dennis the menace like it just seems ridiculous <laughs> like I mean, obviously, um, a much worse version of Dennis the Menace, but like, sure. But, but yeah, the book ended up being a crime to own, and, and that was something you could be charged for for owning that book during Nazi Germany. No, like, uh, but I, I think I won't get into it massively. But I think some of the things we're seeing um, in the way people are protesting Disney films and stuff like that at the moment, the the slurs of like groomers and paedophiles and stuff like that that's being thrown at like LGBTQ people within the industry mm. really feels like this shit. Like it, it feels very similar to me uh, in what Goebbels was well, doing. Well, I mean, they film. do say history repeats itself, which yeah, I right. hope isn't the case. But Anyway, I'm sorry that I brought us down at the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I just think it's fascinating that, like, that, that's part of the history of this film. I think for me, I think that's, uh, you know, it's it goes outside just the film we watched that this became like a big thing yeah, mm. in Germany, really. So yeah, I assume you like the film then. Yeah, I <laughs> really loved it. <laughs> I mean, it's, I loved it. It's hard to say loved it because it's you know the subject matter it is. It's so bleak, yeah. But it is a very well-made film, and uh, I'm really, really glad I watched it. So, I mean, yeah, I was blown away by some of the set pieces and the filming. It's a five out of five. Some of the war sequences, easily. You know, it's fantastic. Absolutely, easily. Really, really loved it. What a great start to our miniseries, though. Yeah, definitely. And I was a little bit, little bit worried. Um, You know, I think this is. The fifties were kind of I felt a little bit in my wheelhouse and the thirties feel like way outside of no, my wheelhouse. No, I think this is gonna be really so. interesting. I'm really looking forward to yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, what's next on the docket? I believe we're talking of Germany. <laughs> we're going to probably the most famous German director. Yeah. Will um will our old friend <laughs> be <laughs> dislike me saying that? No, not at all. So yeah, Fritz Lang. Um we're doing his masterpiece, M. Yeah, I mean, I've only uh, ever seen one film by him, and that's. Uh, oh, which? What have you seen? Well, Metropolis. 
Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think uh, I think I... James is going to join us for M potentially. Yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be good. Like, so I mean, M, I, it's just an iconic, fucking iconic, like poster. I'm really looking forward to watching it. Like, and Fritz Lang is just the best character that exists. <laughs> Him with his fucking monocle. <laughs> And speaking of James, just a quick shout out. Congratulations on becoming the social media manager for uh, George A. Romero. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, fucking awesome. Yeah. We'll talk about that more next week. Yeah, definitely. What, like, asking what that involves. All right. Well, it's been great actually recording again for the first time. Yeah, it has been. A couple of months. I feel like this is a 17 hour, hour long episode. It's three hours so far, I think, recording. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've got to do my sign off now. Um, yeah, what do I do? Uh, yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening, and uh, please don't forget you can reach out to us on uh, Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's with a Y, not a your. Um, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on. And yeah, if the picture's bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. <laughs> <laughs>